If you need a laugh, here on your behalf It's bad mates, are we fighting crime? Or just wasting time? It's bad mates, lunch, boom, crash, kapow Stream a download, holy cow You can stop listening now to bad mates Because we're bad mates Hello and welcome to Batmates. My name is Becca and justice is served. My name is Josh and Becca told me that if I'm not as funny as our guest this week, she's going to start doing the podcast with somebody else. (laughs) It's true. We are doing something a little bit different this week. We've got a two hour long interview with a bona fide Snyder fan who is going to be very, very fair to this movie and discuss very in-depth, lots and lots of details from the Zack Snyder cut of Justice League. So if you have not seen that movie, just pause this, watch all four hours, and come on back, and this whole episode will make a whole lot more sense to you. Yes, uh, this is going to be a lot different from our normal episodes. We're not going over a Silver Age comic. We're not really going to cover much in the way of news or characters. We're just talking about the Snyder cut film. Uh, Due to some technical difficulties, we had to have our guest call in on a phone and record it that way. So apologies in advance for the audio quality, uh, but I think you'll enjoy it. All right, so now we are going to go to our interview um, with a wonderful Snyder fan who took some time to hang out with us on the podcast today. Go ahead and introduce yourself. Hello, my name is Natalie. I work a little bit kind of behind the scenes in film. I worked up in Vancouver, Canada for about a year in film. Um, But yeah, I'm a really huge Snyder fan, especially his work on the DC universe. So yeah, I'm very excited to talk about it with you guys today, kind of the opposing viewpoint. Yeah, (laughs) we we definitely wanted to bring somebody on the podcast who is like a fan of Zack Snyder. And especially it's a bonus that you've worked in film and you definitely have more of an insight than we do on how things actually work on a film set. Because we have nothing but animosity towards the man. No, honestly, that's that's so not true. We, We... we have been very unfair to Zack Snyder on this podcast, I will say, but I have liked things that he's done in the past, and, you know, I just I just want to make sure that uh, we're, we're giving those opposing viewpoints, and, you know, I'm really excited to hear, like, why you love Zack's work so much, what really speaks to you about him, which I guess is probably my first question, if you want to start us off there, just like, what really draws you to his work especially you you and I have talked a lot about your love for Batman v Superman and your love for now the the Snyder Cut I'm just really curious what it is about his work and his style that you love so much I really just love his visualization of things and I know that's honestly why a lot of people dislike him and I know people will admit like yeah he can do some great visuals but like his storytelling but I, I disagree with that because I think his visuals make the storytelling. You have to look into the visuals a little deeper to understand some of the story points, which I like, which I understand is also not traditional filmmaking. Mm-hmm. But that's kind of why I like it. it. It allows you to dig a little deeper. So for you, like, the style is the substance. The fact that he, you know... I would say overuses things like slow motion. That's that's what <laughs> that's the thing. That's like the bread and butter. That's that's the creme de la creme for for you. A little bit, but 
I mean, even in, before we get into it, like, even in Justice League, it was, like, a little, there was a couple parts where I was like, um, he could have dialed it back a little. Yeah. Um, he was he was uh, ratcheted up to ten the entire time. Yeah. yeah. In in the Justice League, he was like, "They gave me all this money. What was it? How much was it?" Um, I think it was ninety million that they gave him additionally. Okay. Yeah. And and he was just like, "I'm just gonna do whatever I want." Yeah. <laughs> well, that's the other reason why I kind of forgive it here because there wasn't any of that in Man of Steel or Batman v Superman. But here, he really was given the leeway to. If he wants it four hours long, he can do that. Yeah. So he kind of had the the room to do it for this one. Very true. Do you have any questions specifically about Zack Snyder's style or anything before we kind of jump into uh, just talking about this four hour long movie? <laughs> um, not really. I mean, what did you think of Watchmen? Have you seen Watchmen? Um, Watchmen, it's not my cup of tea. I do like it. And I love it as a piece of work, but in terms of, like, just the roots of Watchmen and the book, I've never really been super into it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really do appreciate that movie, and that one also has a four-hour director's cut. Is there a four-hour? Oh, that's the one with, uh, with all the it's just, well, Tales of the Black Friday yeah, and stuff. Yeah, it's only the one with the Tales of the Black Friday. That's that's the only difference between it and the and the theatrical, right? Is that four hours long? It, it's four hours. Yeah, because oh the because the regular movie is like what, like two and a half or Maybe, something, yeah. and and I think the. It's almost and the Tales of the Black, Black Fader is like 45 minutes long. Jesus. <laughs> I feel like I've sat down and watched it, but it didn't feel like four hours. I do like well, that movie. Me, that specifically was way harder to get through than something like this. But I'm also a fan of DC. So it's, I mean, this specific DC, not Watchmen. But Yeah. <laughs> Not that Charleston Comics garbage. No. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna originally going to be Charleston Comics characters. <laughs> Would you have liked Watchmen better if the comedian was Peacemaker, like he was supposed to originally be? And maybe also played by John Cena. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I, I just enjoy Jeffrey Dean. I do too. Um, his character, that it's just hard to watch. It's so icky to watch. <laughs> it's just real. it's hard to stomach that character. But... I'm excited for uh, John Cena and Suicide Squad. That'll be fun. Yeah, it will be fun. They got him to voice um, a character. It might be Peacemaker on the Harley Quinn television show. John Cena? Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, it's definitely going to be Peacemaker. It's definitely going to be Peacemaker... Oh, wait, no, we're not sure. Well, okay, the director of the Harley Quinn show, here's some news. Yeah, this, this is, is this like is the news portion of the podcast in, right here. Interstitial news. Um, the director of the Harley Quinn show mentioned that uh, there's going to be a, a new character on next season, and he's like, you won't see it coming, and don't get too attached, which is both a reference to John Cena's You Don't See Me, and don't get too attached as the tagline for the Suicide Squad. So John Cena is definitely, probably definitely going to be in the Harley Quinn animated show. And I we don't know who he's voicing, but most like, likely peacemaker. Likely peacemaker. Yeah. 
since they're doing a big push with that yeah. with his character for some reason. It's it's unilateral <laughs> too. Like it's it's the Suicide Squad movie. They're doing that show HBO for Max. HBO Max. Yeah. Uh, he's going to be in the Harley Quinn show, and they're also uh, in the comics, like really pushing Peacemaker. The whatever the newest Suicide Squad run is, like heavily features him. This is star making. Well, how long until we have a crossover that's Peacemaker versus Black Adam? Ooh. That would be fun. Once in a lifetime. <laughs> yes. I would love I that. I was going to say, uh, the, in the Future State comics, they do, he comes to Earth 3 and fights like a, a t- weird twisted version of the Justice League that was put together by Amanda Waller. Mm. <laughs> um, but that wasn't, I don't think it was, no, it wasn't Black Adam. It was uh, Connor Kent. It was Superboy. Let's get uh, a crossover four-way Marvel DC with Peacemaker, Black Adam, Drax from Guardians of the Galaxy, <laughs> and Cody Rhodes' character from the Green Arrow TV show. <laughs> It'll be oh multimedia, God. all wrestlers all the time, <laughs> making their crossover Are there any other? Oh, uh, no. He's, is he dead? The guy who, who? Uh, the guy who played the Hulk in, in the television show? Uh, Lou like Ferrigno? Yeah, Lou Ferrigno. Oh he's God. been dead for like... I'm pretty sure he's still alive. <laughs> right? I Right, I think he's still alive. He's, you know. Oh, they could have him come on too. You're thinking of Andre the Giant. Yeah. Kind of similar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Now they should have Lou Ferrigno also be in it as the Hulk. Hulk. Yeah. All right. I think pretty sure Dave Batista was going to be in James Gunn's The Suicide Squad, but Mm -hmm. then ditched it to be in Zack Snyder's Army of the Dead. Interesting. Huh. Hmm. All right. Well, I would be interested to see who he would play. Probably. Uh, maybe he would voice King Shark. Yeah. Possibly. Uh, as, yeah. Yeah. I, I got disappointed. Uh, more news this week. Uh, we'll probably talk about the Suicide Squad trailer a little later on. But um, uh, the voice is not Steve G, the comedian uh, who is does the voice, ca- the vo- the, not the voice, the motion body capture motion capture for, for King, the, Shark, King Shark, which yeah. I hoped it would be because he's funny. Um, but it's Sylvester Stallone. And I was like, oh, okay. Oh, I did see that. I Interesting. It was a little odd. Yeah, I was like, why don't I just have Steve a G? But he's already in the movie, so maybe people would be like, those two people sound the same. I don't like it. <laughs> um, all right. Should we talk about the Snyderverse? Let's talk about the the Snyder Cut. Let's, Let's talk, talk about the about Snyder Justice Cut. Justice League, Snyder the Snyder Cut. Cut. Before we go in, I, I think we should do a little talk about like the Joss Whedon Cut. Okay. Like, I, <laughs> The, I just wanted to point out, like, all, right off the bat, that the Snyder Cut has none of the Russian family stuff that was in the Joss Whedon Cut. Mm-hmm. Um, we're also missing the Superman Flash race, which I actually kind of miss. Mm-hmm. I, I thought the, like, world's fastest man thing was a, was a cute way to end the movie. Uh, much better than what actually ended the movie the last, like, 15 minutes. Yeah. We'll um, talk about that. <laughs> We're missing um, a lot of Barry's quips. Yeah, a lot of a lot of like like jokes. And that- not just Barry's quips. Everyone has weird quips. Yeah, they tried to make everyone comic relief. Like Bruce should not they, be comic they relief. They literally just took the script and were like, "Let's write jokes for everybody." Yeah, there was that one scene, um, the rewritten scene with Lois and Martha, where they were at the Daily Planet, and there's that news report on huh. that Lois is watching, and they're talking about aliens probing humans anally like yeah 
Oh my gosh, I completely forgot about that. I forgot about that until today. Yeah. And then, well, there's also in that scene some guy who's like, who's your source? I gotta know your source. And then she's like, it's a she, it's a woman. (laughs) It's so weird. It's just like really weird. All of the dialogue in the Joss Whedon film is like (laughs) off-putting. Very weird, especially that first opening shot with the Snapchat video of Superman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Why did they think that was a good idea? We wanted to show off the beautiful technology, facial reconstruction. <laughs> it was awful. <laughs> it was it was really terrible. Um yeah, I definitely like the replacement scene of, you know, Lois is just sort of she's still in mourning, but the weird thing in the Joss Whedon version is she's like in mourning, but she's at work. And so yeah. she's like, I'm not doing hard news anymore. I'm just reporting on kittens. I think from Joss's point of view, he probably thought he was doing some great feminist move by, oh, well, Lois is out of work in Zack's script. No, 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 like, she needs to be working to show she's a woman. Mm-hmm. No, like, let, she's allowed to grieve, but in his head, I'm sure he was like, well, she needs to be back at the Daily Planet um, because she has no worth if she's not a reporter. Oh, my God. Um, but, Yeah. Very sad to see what Joss thought was going to make it quote unquote better. What is she doing in the Snyder movie? She is really just mourning. Yeah. Um, she's no unemployed. Set up other than them showing us that she's going to Heroes Park a lot, so it makes sense that she's there at the end when he comes back to life and she happens to be in the area. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the Joss cut, it's kind of kind of like do ex machina she just shows up there's no explanation why she would be in the area Mm -hmm. i think maybe they had like bruce call her very weird the thing that bothers me in both cuts and i'm sad that zach didn't fix it um is that she runs up to like stop him and she's like clark stop oh my god clark and i'm like there's people around (laughs) it's like girl secret identity shush hush up um all right i guess we should start with part one okay so my first note here is step aside quibby there's a new bad aspect ratio in town (laughs) yeah the three four really interesting four three four three so he made it for old television (laughs) why do you love it natalie so if you look at a traditional shot like 16 by 9 you don't get much of the picture and then you show four three, you're getting a substantial amount more of picture. Mm-hmm. Like you can look at any of the shots. Like you'll, it'll be <laughs> it's super cut math. off. So much head space, space is cut off, and then now you look at this. You have all of the legs in. It looks like a complete shot. And not just awkward cropping anymore. It might be just because I'm so used to like widescreen, but having well, so yeah. much headspace is very odd. I'm like, I guess I'm just looking at the sky. I mean, fair. There was there was a couple shots that fell away, like way too far away mm-hmm. for that reason. Um I was telling but Becca again, that the the four three aspect ratio makes it seem like it's a comic panel to me at least. Like yeah. comic panels are more square usually, so they can fit like six on a page or whatever. Um, and I, I don't know, it just kind of gave me when I was looking at stills 
of like the 69 against the 4-3. Um, that's, that's what like really struck me. Well, yeah, it's more ideal, like, especially for comic artists when they're drawing to have that sort of area to create a picture as opposed to like a little like line going across. You don't get much space. Yeah. Um, so I agree. It's definitely very comic book-esque. Yeah, um, I mean, I didn't mind it, honestly, after a while. I didn't hate it. It was just different. And you know what? It definitely showed him sticking to a vision. Well, part of his vision was also that it was in black and white. Because in the two years that it sat dormant, the only version that existed was the black and white version. He felt it was symbolic to losing his daughter. Um, Mm. So that's why they ended up also releasing it on HBO Max. It's because he he truly felt that the black and white was his true vision. Yeah. What's it called? Uh, Shades of Grey or? Uh, (laughs) Shades of Grey. I think it's on HBO Max listed under Justice is Grey. Justice is Grey. Justice League. Fifty Shades of Grey. (laughs) Now that's a picture I'd watch. (laughs) I would too. Lots of attractive men. Four hours. Four hours of uh, Diana. Actually, it would be, it'd be very true to Diana's character. Do a bondage film about um, <laughs> about Wonder Woman. Well, we already have a rich uh, businessman, Bruce Wayne. Exactly. Oh, my God. We've cracked the case. And they are setting up that love story, which, okay, uh, why? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I don't know. here's the thing is like in the in the Justice League Unlimited or Justice League like animated television show, Bruce and Diana had a little like flirtation thing going on. And I understand that. And like it's not the first time in in any canon that they've they've been flirty with each other. But in the Justice League Zack Snyder cut, it just kind of comes out of nowhere. There's like one single flirting scene and then they don't really ever address it. And it's like, are they trying to set this up? Like, what's the deal? Why are they? Why are they trying to set that up? And and like, where are they going with it? Because it doesn't. It didn't add anything. That little flirt to to the movie itself. I'm not sure. I think one. You and I talked about this, Becca, before that Ben Affleck is just like a little awkward when it comes to romance. Yeah. <laughs> like just with anyone on screen I do actually enjoy Wonder Bat yeah <laughs> I I enjoyed the iteration they had in Batman v Superman it felt like warranted like flirting there was a bit of like aggression there as well and then I think fans kind of picked up on it so I don't know if they just threw that that scene with like Bruce and Diana in the cave where they touch hands just to tease people but it was very random i feel like if they were going to commit they should have committed more or just not at all yeah yeah i agree i think it was i don't know just to i mean the thing that really stood out to me the most with uh gal's performance is just that she has really great chemistry with everyone in the cast so i didn't hate any of the scenes where they were like hinting at things or really any of the scenes where she talked to anybody um, and I, I do think it definitely helped to have more scenes of them interacting together, whether it was cringy or not. The thing that stood out to me the most, especially in Act One, the thing that bothered me the most in Act One is just the way that, like, everyone always stares at the heroes, no matter what's 
happening, even if they're not doing anything heroic. Like uh, when he when Batman goes to find Aquaman uh, and he like jumps into the sea before they even start singing at him. Everyone's just sort of like (laughs) standing around staring at these two men. It just doesn't feel like a lived in world. Like those people can just stop in their day to like watch these two people have a conversation. And it just reminds me of like how lived in a scene like in Endgame when they're in uh, New Asgard. And And it's a very similar setting. It's like a fishing village. Everyone's just like going about their day and no one has to like stop and like stare at Thor as he's talking to another Avenger. Or like Bruce Banner because he's like the one who comes and visits. Yeah, they're just like, oh, it's the Hulk. Cool, I've seen him on TV. I, I don't know. That's the thing that bothers me the most about any like... That's kind of a style of Zack. Yeah. Dramatics and he, he just takes it very, very seriously. Yeah, like people literally... Some people don't like it because it, it can come off cheesy mm-hmm. but i happen to enjoy it yeah people literally see them as gods it's it very much reminds me of like you know he's obviously very influenced by ayn rand he loves the fountainhead he wants to you know make that movie someday mm-hmm. and i don't know maybe well, it's just that there's actually two different easter eggs from that in this there was a ship I forget, it was like Courtland, which I think was from Fountainhead, yeah. and then there was a date somewhere that had to do, I, I was reading about it earlier, but I, I'm not familiar with Fountainhead, Fountainhead enough, enough to talk about it. Yeah, I'm honestly not either. I um, Fountainhead Easter eggs in there. I just always think of Ayn Rand as like the, the mother of like libertarianism, and I'm like, eh, okay, <laughs> that's all I really know about her. Um, but yeah, I don't know. That, that's the thing that, that sticks out to me the most in, in part one. Um, and also part one, I think the part I liked the most was definitely Diana's like entrance and setting up in the movie. I thought that was yeah. a really great change from the Whedon version. Um, except for the fact that Zach's editing makes it look like she's a speedster. And then she definitely kills that guy, which was also very weird. Yeah, uh, she, she has like super speed to go and, and dot and like well not dodge but deflect bullets. Yeah. She like runs super quickly and then you're right at the end of that scene she she totally 100 percent kills a guy, mm-hmm. which is. I mean that is how she was depicted in Batman v Superman. She did have that speed, mm-hmm. but that was one of the scenes where I was like, all right, do we need the slowing down every 10 seconds? Yeah. For this one specific fight, I think it should be saved for Barry's. So it's like more genuine when it's being used Mm -hmm. as opposed to just everywhere once in a while and sure do it with Superman. But and I don't understand those terrorists plan. They say that they're like (laughs) there is some sort of terrorist group that wants to set the world back a thousand years but then, like, their plan is we're going to blow up this one city block, which to me doesn't make about it, any it sense. It's supposed to be, like, motives that don't make sense with a plan that doesn't make sense, which is why Diana's just like, boring, I don't care, what are you doing? It was kind of supposed to be a joke. What? Uh, I mean... Because like, they, they had silly motives, like, it didn't make sense, and then... Diana just cuts him off, and he's like, she's like, that's boring. Do you remember when she's holding him up, the one guy? Yeah, I, I, 
I just remember him being like, we're a small terrorist group from blah, blah, blah. And it just reminded me of like the JonBenet Ramsey letter that describes them as being a small foreign faction. And I was like, who admits that? Who admits you're a small terrorist group? Yeah, nobody, no, no terrorist thinks that they're a terrorist. They think that they're doing a good job. Yeah, he should have been like, I'm a superhero. It was like a, a joke, poking fun at like basic comic book villains with weird motives i guess uh it's maybe it's zach's a, brand of humor which we don't get <laughs> a little too on the nose and self-referential to the point that it comes full circle back around to being like self-serious yeah maybe. Well, did you see it? he also had a cameo in part one who who, who zach zach did oh is he the one who's in the coffee shop when lois yeah yeah he's coming out he's just like right in the frame for like a second yeah i did oh, see that hmm Oh, Zach. <laughs> Being in your own movie. So the movie opens up with Superman's voice dopplering across the entire world, mm-hmm. which I thought was weird, especially because it went on for so long. Like, it maybe would not have been as weird if they would have shown it all in, like, a, maybe a minute long or less than a minute long, but it takes... Like, the entire first five minutes of the movie to show, like, his voice dopplering across the land Mm -hmm. as the opening credits play. Which, I don't know, it was just like, I don't know, I didn't understand it, I guess. (laughs) Um, I I, I don't know if it, I don't think it was, like, real time, like, it took five minutes for the Amazons to hear it. I think it was just, again, him being dramatic. Like, that probably was all in ten seconds slowed down and we're seeing each of the same 10 seconds from each different perspective. Mm. Um, but it also goes back to later explain that that awakens some other boxes. Mm-hmm. No, I understood the, the, the narrative, like the, the plot part of it. I just right, thought it was, just, I thought it was like weird. It was. I thought it was weird pacing. And I thought that the, the like, whoa, 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 whoa. It was sounded, sounded funny too. You should have said Martha. <laughs> No, we'll go, we'll, we will talk about when he should have said, when somebody should have said Martha in this movie. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yes. We'll get to that, I guess. Um, I guess let's talk about the mother boxes, because. Yeah. They. Oh, uh, do you know, um, do you know if the, uh, what is it, the Amazon's room that they keep the mother box in, was that part of the reshoots or was that originally shot? No, that was originally shot. Okay, because yeah. it, it looked like weirdly too sound stagey for me like i could tell that the rock work and and backdrops were were faked i don't know why I mean, yeah, that was definitely in a sound stage yeah for sure um, but like i don't know like it, it reminded me of when you watch like a movie from like the 1950s or 60s where right. it's kind of like it's very obvious that they're on a sound stage whereas Almost like the original like king kong yeah 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 that's on an island it's clearly not that's what I mean. That's what I mean. And and like it just struck me because the rest of the movie doesn't. Well, actually, that's not true. The the scene in Gotham where uh, uh, where Gal Gadot meets Cyborg. That one also is kind of like this is this is definitely like a city block that they built in a back lot. Yeah. I don't know, like the rest that of the movie. I'm pretty sure was just somewhere in England though. I was it really? Was a back lot. I'm hmm. not. I'm not hundred percent sure. It might be. A back lot at the studios over there, mm. but I'm pretty sure it might have been uh, a city. Hmm. Okay, possible. Before we get too far away from the mascara, I do want to say something positive. I really, really liked that little exchange where when Steppenwolf first shows up, 
Um, and maybe it's just because I really liked Wonder, Wonder Woman in the first movie. But he, Steppenwolf says something about fear. And then uh, Hippolyta says, like, Amazon, show him your fear. And they all go, we have no fear. And I was like, that's badass. I really like that. I, I love that. That's one of my notes I wrote down was that quote. Yeah. was very reminiscent to me of 300. Yeah. You know what? I think that might be one of the only Zach films I haven't seen. I've never seen 300. I haven't either. I probably you, should. You guys should watch it. All right. I will. I know it's a good movie. I know the part he, he kicks a guy down a well. That's fine. <laughs> and then that's all Iconic. I know. Iconic. Um, yeah. Do you have any other uh, notes on, on part one? Any Anything else that really stood out to you? Was it, This was the fight scene with the with the Amazons, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I, I liked it. I thought it was good. I thought the, yeah. the extended action sequence was well worth it. Yeah, I thought it worked. I think having... I, I, I didn't feel like it was bloated. I liked seeing them fight back. I liked seeing their different tactics. And again, I really like Wonder Woman 1, so... Yeah. <laughs> I like the way the Amazonians yeah. fight. I think it was a nice introduction to Steppenwolf, especially from what we had only seen him as in the Justice cut. Mm-hmm. Um... <laughs> Because he was, like, a little scary. He came in with his axe, like, axing horses in half and all the R-rated good stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it did, you're right, it went on for a bit, but it didn't necessarily feel like it was going on that long. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also was reading that Connie Nelson, who plays the Queen, she was obviously stated that she yeah. was, a majority of her parts were cut from Joss's theatrical cut and when Zach talked to her when he was redoing it she was like I don't care you just have to put that stunt of me running up the wall yeah when she was inside and thinking about it like it that probably could have taken she probably trained for months for that specific stunt Mm -hmm. probably took a couple days even just to shoot and then you just gotta get it on the cutting room floor that stings yeah it happens all the time in movies, in yeah. film, though. Like, it it really sucks, like, the amount of work that people can put in. And it's like, well, didn't make it into the final cut. Yeah. Yeah. Which, yeah. Yeah, so I'm happy that she was able to see herself have all that hard work pay off. Can I admit something embarrassing? Um, when I was watching this, for some reason in my head, I thought that the woman who played Hippolyta was the actress Connie Britton from uh, American Horror American Story. Horror. And like, I just, I'm bad with faces and I haven't seen any, I haven't, you know, seen Justice League since it came out. She, I don't really remember she was in much Wonder Woman from 19- 1984. I know, we just watched that movie like a couple months ago. But I literally was looking at it, I was like, did they recast Hippolyta? That's not Connie Britton. Like, what's going on? And then I had to like look it up on my phone. I was like, oh no, I'm just an idiot. Wrong Connie, whoops. Great. Natalie, did you have any other uh, major things you wanted to talk about in, in part one? Um, no, that was, that was kind of it for part one. Is it, was the Icelandic women singing, was that in part one? Yeah, that was in part that one. That was indeed in part one. What's that all about? That kind of came I, out of nowhere. <laughs> I don't know. I don't have any interpretation for you, to be honest. I've tried to. I, I don't know what it was supposed to signify. Yeah. Just a little dramatic moment, I guess. Sniffing the sweater. The only thing I liked about that, it was when that transitioning into Martha at Clark's grave was nice, but the whole other part 
was very long and weird, but I liked that it ended It with, did, yes, yes, I have that in my notes too, that it took yeah. way, like, it was super long. They sung, it wasn't just like they started singing a few bars and then it cut. It was like, they sung, like, an entire song. Yeah. Well, also because it was, like, it, it was one shot until she, like, turned around. Mm. So that made it feel super long too. And, and and Bruce doesn't even seem to be phased by it. He's like, I guess that's what they do here. <laughs> yeah. Like Batman doesn't have any <laughs> objections to it. I, I he's mean, not like, why are you singing? Been doing this for a long time at this point, I'm pretty sure he's seen even weirder shit. Yeah, probably. <laughs> um, all right, on to part two then, which is basically just one big exposition dump about the mother boxes. Yeah. What did you, Natalie? What did you think of the Age of Heroes? Um, you know, I guess you could say it's a prologue <laughs> to the film. <laughs> I don't I don't think the movie really picks up till part three it is part two especially it's just like a lot of exposition part one we kind of see where the main characters that we know where they are mm-hmm. and then part two is just a lot of background we have the history lesson in there we have Diana exploring the sh- shrine of the Amazons to kind of see what's going on um, but yeah lots of Lots of history. I really liked seeing the old gods, and that history lesson was just really, really great. The yeah. the weird thing about it, though, is like, yes, it was a big expedition dump, but I don't know if there's any part of that that could have been taken out without the rest of the movie making any sense. Yeah, it was helpful. Right. It was. No, yeah, definitely. It's like, it's required. And it, it's it's sad that it was required, that like, you know, a 10 minute long exposition dump was required for you to understand the rest of the plot of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it, like, like I said, you know, it adds context. It's great. It makes, it makes the entire movie make more sense than the original Joss Whedon cut. But it's also like, there's gotta be some way to take that information and, like, spread it out. So it's not all one big dump. The only way to do that would be to have, like, world building for years and years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which WB did not want to do. No. They just came into the game very late, and I get it. And they just should have let his original vision fly and... We might have been in a better place. I guess we'll see if Marvel does a better job when we see the Eternals come out later this year. Because, you know, Jack Kirby is really the the mastermind behind all this new God stuff. And, you know, he originally wanted to do that when he worked at Marvel. And they were like, no, we're doing the Norse God stuff. Take your weird new God stuff elsewhere. And he's like, I will. And then he went to DC and he made all the new God stuff and he ruined my life with it. And Jack Kirby, I know you're dead, but I'm calling you out. Get out of your grave and we're going to fight. So, and then I do believe, I'll cut this out if it's not true. I'll look it up later. I'm pretty sure that he then went back to Marvel and wrote the Eternals. It's very much like a similar sort of feeling to it. So I think you're right about yeah. that. I would have to look, but I'm pretty sure that's correct. Yeah. And so, you know, we'll see if Marvel's able to make it digestible. Because, like, yeah, Thanos is a big purple space alien, but I feel like he's actually, his 
His motives in the comic are even simpler than they are in the Marvel movies. He just is in love with the personification of death and he wants to have a physical relationship with her. And he's like, oh, what's going to make death happy? I know I'll destroy half the life in the universe. Then she'll have to love me. And so he does. And, you know, they make it a lot more complicated and even a little bit sort of understandable in the MCU. Uh, so I don't know. I just feel like there isn't really an easy way to make the New God stuff digestible. It's just too big right. and too overwieldy. I don't well, know. I, I He's don't a know conqueror, though. Isn't he just, isn't, isn't, uh, sorry, sorry to interrupt you, but isn't, um, well, oh, now you got me thinking of Thanos. I can't remember his name. Darkseid. Darkseid. Yeah. Isn't Darkseid a, a, just a conqueror? He wants to conquer as many worlds as he can? Yeah, but then you got like the anti-life equation. The like, anti-life equation yeah. is just like mind control for people. It's the, the, the taking away of free will. Um, although they didn't explain that in the, the Snyder cut they or didn't. the Joss Whedon cut. No, didn't explain really. I mean, I guess the Age of Heroes no, thing does explain the mother boxes. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Well, yeah, the only thing about the analyze equation is that was going to be the plot point of part two and three, which is why it wasn't very explained in this one. Yeah, I guess he couldn't, he couldn't be like, oh, really quickly, let me just make two more movies. That'll explain it. Yeah. <laughs> um... Yeah. But then why even included it in, in the end anyway? You know, like. Because, like, the cut we have is what was going to be released. Okay. Anticipating that two and three were still coming out. Yeah. Which is why everything just kind of ends on a cliffhanger. Yeah. It's so weird to me that DC was like, oh, we have to have our own Avengers movie. Quick. Like, they didn't see that it required the world building that the Marvel Universe did. It's just like these, these boneheaded. Uh, executive decisions that are like, like, why rush things? Why not take your time? Like, the the whole idea behind it is not that you have a big pillar. It's that you make as many movies as you can to make as much money as you can. You don't, you know, shoehorn everything in just to have a big movie. You have to make a bunch of smaller movies first (laughs) to build up to that. What ended up happening from a corporate point of view is like marvel like rose exponentially in a very short period of time and truly was conquering the box office and everyone's money for years and years and years and all of the the other studios were panicking Mm -hmm. just trying to pump out generic blockbuster after generic blockbuster just to rake some cash in because literally marvel was just owning the game and that's where all these just like cut and dry corporate decisions came from. It doesn't uh, make any sense to me though. It's like, you know, if Marvel is doing that, right? If they're doing their their big like cookie cutter, you have a you have a big villain that's in the movie and you have a, a superhero that you set up and by the end they triumph. Why not get weird with it if you're another company? Like, why not give the public something different to try and catch their interest? Like, DC has their their whole, like, Elseworlds tales. They've got a lot of weird stuff that they can dig into to, to sell to people. And, and, like, I'm sure that they could find weird directors to, to handle that sort of stuff and, and give them something different. Because you never know. Like, you know, you can... I guess the, the, the worry is that it's going to be a dud. Right, it's going to be a strikeout, and you're going to have spent a lot of money. Um, but you can always just take uh, Michael Eisner's uh, <laughs> play. Oh, God. Do doubles, you, doubles and triples. Doubles and triples. Do you know that quote? Or single? No, it's singles and doubles. Singles and doubles. No, 
irritates me. Yes. Well, you know. His, his whole... Michael Eisner, enemy of the people. But I do agree with... Uh, he had a philosophy at Disney that, that, you know, not everything needs to be a home run. All you have to do is keep hitting singles and doubles and eventually you'll right. score. You know, you don't need to spend, like, you know, millions and millions and millions of dollars to make a blockbuster. Spend a little bit of money making a few different things. And then, you know, if one of those catches on, then you hammer that one and, and beat it to death. You know? yes. Well, I think the, the issue, draws from DC over the years have tried numerous projects that they've either lost money from or haven't seen much return, and they're a lot kind of their stuff is... to delve into like some of their more niche characters, which is why they were able to pull off the Joker movie with such a low budget, it made, broke almost every record for R-rated movies. Mm-hmm. And it worked because they, they pulled an oddball director with an oddball script. But I I think they, I agree with you, Josh, like they should pull different characters instead of just the ones that the general public already knows. How many times have we seen the Joker? How many times have we seen Batman? Yeah, yeah. Like they've done, they've done, what is it now? Like three Batman movies where you get to, you have to see his, his origin story played out again and again. It's like, give me a Booster Gold movie. Give me... <laughs> Josh is obsessed with Booster Gold. Give me, give me like Blue a, Beetle. Give me a Blue Beetle movie. Give me, uh, I'm trying to think of other like deep cut DC characters. Give me a Zatanna movie. Oh man, I'd love a Zatanna movie. Black G- Canary. Give me a Black Canary movie. Actually, no. Well, are, she was in. Are Fortnite. they doing something with Zatanna? Pretty sure they are. Um, are they doing something Max. with Zatanna? You know what? I think I did hear that. Really? I think they're doing something I, on I HBO Max with Zatanna. Oh, is it an HBO series? So that's yeah. the thing is like now DC is going to be doing that where they're going to be releasing their their weirder and more experimental stuff on HBO Max as like limited run series. And I understand that. You know, a TV series is easier to make than a movie. It's easier mm-hmm. like, you know get people to watch it because you're not you don't have to go to a movie theater to see it and all that sort of stuff yeah but i don't it, it's it it saddens me that like the only people who are going to see those are going to be people who subscribe to hbo max like the yeah. the the stuff that was successful for them on the cw was great like you know they 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 did they ran smallville was successful that wasn't on cw but or was it smallville it was, it was yeah wb before it became CW, yeah. Seasons, and then the last, I think, two seasons of Smallville were CW. Yeah, yeah they did They did Smallville, they did Arrow, they did uh, The Flash. And those it's, are, like, well-regarded. I, they're not my cup of tea, but, yeah. like, a lot of people like those. It, it makes things mainstream, and it, it, it brings to mind one of my favorite memories of a holiday at your house where we were reading comics, and your mom, who's, like, just a, a woman in her 50s from rural New Jersey, just came over and looked over Josh's shoulder, and she's like, oh, that's Black Lightning, and then just keep on kept walking. And we're like, how do you know who how Black, do you know Lightning, who Black is? Lightning is? It was wild, but she watches it on, on the CW. So shout out to Josh's mom, Josh's mom, the, the world's biggest Black Lightning fan. Probably uh, not. No. <laughs> but, but she knows who he is. And, yeah. and like, I would say even people who probably like only pick up the Batman titles or whatever, they probably wouldn't know who he is unless yeah. he gets referenced, you yeah. know? Um, all right, let's get back to this movie. Okay, we've, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. We've talked about WCB's decisions. About Steppenwolf. Yeah. So, because I don't know much, I think you might know more, Becca, about the new gods. About Stephen so, Wolf. Stephen Wolf. 
Stephen Wolf. <laughs> yeah. He, uh, he's talking to Desaad, and Desaad is like, "You still owe the Great One fifty thousand worlds." Do is there? Would there be a, a reason why in the comics why Steppenwolf is in such great debt to Darkseid? I I honestly do not know. Um, I wish I knew more about the New Gods, but. The reason they make me so angry is that every time they're brought up, it's just like my mind turns to static. It's like what, what happens when I try to read a Green Lantern comic. I just can't <laughs> I can't process the things I'm seeing as pictures. I can't process the things I'm reading as words. It just all becomes a jumble. So I, mean, I don't it, know. It's, there's similar stuff to that when you get to DC's like magic stuff too. Like the, when you get real deep into like Shazam lore or like Dr. Fate. The, the Lords of Order and stuff. That yeah. stuff, uh, my eyes glaze over when they start talking about those things, too. Yeah. Um, but great question. Maybe I'll try to find that out for the next podcast, what what he was talking about. Just generically, he screwed up and he, he's he got to get uh, Dark Side more worlds. Yeah. I guess. I guess. I guess. He was too nice. Um, his, part- his puppy dog face. Uh, yeah, he does look like a dog. I love it. Yeah. I like his big eyes. His eyes are weird. Although I do like his... I like his uh, outfit better this time around. It's such, it's it's such a cool—I don't want to call it a costume. What would you call that? What a, armor? I just—I yeah. call, called it an outfit. I think it's an outfit. <laughs> yes. The movement on it was just so cool. Like you don't see armor like that or anything on screen really that is mm-hmm. that fluid. Oh, well, I just thought that was a cool detail. While we're talking about him, I did want to mention something weird. Um, so in his when he's talking to Darkseid. Uh, or I guess it's Desaad. It's Desaad, yeah. Okay, when he's talking to Desaad about, like, Earth, he's like, there's no, there's no lantern here to defend it, and there's no Kryptonian. Which, like, I have my note here, I'm like, why did he mention a Kryptonian? Why would he think that there would be a Kryptonian here in the first they place? they Clark was there. They did? Yeah, I, I mean, the events of Man of Steel, I'm pretty sure were probably known throughout the whole universe. I guess is was Zod in his big mouth. <laughs> <laughs> was um, uh, what's this? Was um, Doomsday? Was he sent by Darkseid or no? So no. The events of Batman v Superman were all Lex. Kind of. I don't know how Lex has knowledge of the New Gods, but he apparently does because the whole plot of Batman v Superman was kind of him triggering this happening by making sure Clark dies from mm-hmm. Doomsday. Because um, we see that at the end. Does he create Doomsday? He does, yeah. He, yeah. like, mixes Zod's corpse with his blood. And yeah. then... Oh, that's weird. Yeah. It's no been... weirder than the original uh, making of Doomsday. I suppose. Yeah. Uh, I watched that movie once, like, what was that, five, four years Batman ago? Superman? Yeah. Yeah, it was about five years ago. Four, four years ago, and... and uh, I have not watched it since, and I didn't really understand it, and I got very bored. Although I did sit through it. <laughs> it's Natalie's favorite movie. It's one of my favorite movies, and I've written multiple analysis about, analysis oh, no. about it. <laughs> um, yeah, I know we we've talked a little bit about it before, and uh, we we can always get in get into the uh, Batman v Superman discourse later. But I know it's it's something it's you know very similar to how you feel about all of Zach's work that if you really are paying attention to the symbolism and what he's intending to put in, it, it's a very rewarding movie to watch. Yeah, 
Exactly. Um, That's why I enjoy it. Yeah. yeah. Um, I just wanted to mention, too, because part two is where we first see Star Labs. Um, and I, I don't know. Stop me if this is mean. But I okay. don't enjoy the actor who plays, what's his name? John Choi? Oh, oh. Uh, the Adam. The Adam. Yeah. I just, and when they later they named him and they were like, guess what? This is going to be a superhero. I was like, this actor is terrible. I don't know. Maybe well, it's just me. I didn't. Yeah. I, I don't feel like any which way about the actor. Cause I really, it was just, he was just kind of there. Yeah. For me, but it might be because when he was cast on the books with DC, Zach was going to produce a Adam movie mm-hmm. with China. So it wasn't going to be an American-made movie. It was going to be Chinese. Oh. So I don't know if he is from China, and that's why they cast him, because they wanted a Chinese actor. Mm-hmm. And there are different acting styles in China and, and in Chinese movies. So I don't know if I that's suppose. why I am just hypothesizing. I would have to look. Mm-hmm. But I know when he was cast, that was what was on the the books until everything changed yeah i mean i'm fully ready to admit it could just been a disconnect um or just like a different style but i don't know he's there didn't seem to be any stakes in his voice and uh i don't know every conversation he had with silas i was like this man is acting circles around this other man (laughs) and this scene doesn't even have like very high stakes at all they're just talking about science he just kind of like seemed like a nuisance most of the time really i don't know Joe Morton is just like an incredible actor. He is. Oh, he's so, so good. If this guy's new, I'm, a lot of stakes are in there. Yeah. acting with him. Yeah. We also saw um, Willem Dafoe in part two. We did a little. With that terrible uh, wig. Yeah. I, <laughs> I love I Willem Dafoe in anything, so I was fine with it. I also just thought it was funny that the men literally just took their box and buried it six feet under the ground, like. And then nobody found it. Uh, uh, presumably that happened thousands and thousands of years ago, and nobody found it until the Nazis dug it up. Yeah, no construction, nothing. <laughs> She's yeah, safe. Very, I don't understand that thought process, why they would do that. I, and of course, of course it was Hitler that got it, but... Yeah, of course. <laughs> I want to see that Indiana Jones movie. Yeah, Indiana <laughs> Jones and the Mother Boxes. <laughs> That'd be good. Because that's, like, his whole thing, is he fights the Nazis to get, like, magical artifacts. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I want to see that one. Or or maybe you could replace Indiana Jones with Blue Beetle, because he's also an archaeologist. You could. You could do that. There you go. That's how we would do it. If they're so obsessed with uh, the new gods and having the mother boxes be a part of it, yes, that's how you could bring in the Blue Beetle to the DCEU. This is how, and here's the thing, is, like, this is how you could have set up the movie even further back. Mm-hmm. You have him, you know, going, finding the mother box and also the scarab. Mm. That sets him up for his own movie. You do that movie and then the mother box comes back in the next, you know, in the next part. Would you have them do a solo Blue Beetle bu- movie or would you want a blue and gold movie? Ooh. You can only have one. Uh, I, I would I would want a blue and gold movie, okay. actually. Yeah, I think it would make more sense. Because Blue Beetle and Booster Gold, I don't think by themselves would have enough content to do uh, a solo movie. Yeah, I think it, you bring them together, you have them do a buddy a buddy comedy, <laughs> or a six part uh, mini series on HBO Max. Like yeah, they're yeah. probably not going to have a solo Falcon movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. <laughs> yeah. 
I agree that would have been better set up, but can you imagine if they took that route, the timing, how many people would just say they're stealing from Marvel? Because you have the Guardians running into X-Infinity Stone and Thor and blah, blah, blah. I mean, they, listen, they are constantly, they are constantly borrowing and taking things from each other all the time. This is true. This is true. Like in the comics and stuff. I hate comparing them because it's like, it's all the same. There's no comparison. I mean, if you want to take universe, like the cinematic universes and compare them, that's one thing. But in general, just comparing them, they're different. Yeah. They're different. They all have the same notes, but they're different. Yeah. You're right. Um, any... Shall we go into part three? Yeah, I'm ready for part three. Is this the part that opens up with the Gardner Fox reference? It is. This is the part yes. that opens, because I have a lot I need to say about Barry. Oh, okay. Um, so for our listeners who know uh, a lot about our Silver Age writers, uh, this part opens with a big truck that passes by that says uh, Garden, Gardner Fox Groceries or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who is uh, a Silver Age writer who created The Flash, which is why he's referenced in this scene, which is the first scene that The Flash is in about an hour into the movie, <laughs> which is great. <laughs> He he's, uh, shows up quickly, just like he's apt to do. <laughs> Aha, absolutely. Um, all right. I'll, I'll, I'm going to start about my feelings. Did you catch the other Easter egg in that scene real quick? Which one? What's that? So the same scene, the hot dog cart that the truck hits, it says, for any goodness, hot dog. No, it doesn't. I'm going to die. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Really? <laughs> That's so stupid. <laughs> oh, I love it. All right. That's... Which had me thinking, I'm like, I bet you there's some metaphor in here that in a, in the original plan, in the future, Flash kills Granny Goodness. Or maybe she was going to be some sort of like Monsanto figure where she's been on Earth and she's been like... Like she is in Young Justice. Yeah. Which is a good telling of the new gods, I think. Uh, even that. There are so many episodes of Young Justice we watched where I just like passed out. Not even because I was tired. I just didn't know what was going on. <laughs> Um, so, so, so Flash, so Barry, um, his performance is very hit or miss for me and it's definitely better than, I'm going to start saying the Justice cut cause I like, or Justice League cause I like the way that you say that, Nat. Um, yeah, his performance was definitely better here than it was in that one. He's less annoying. He's still pretty annoying and he's <laughs> like a good amount of the comic relief, but there was just so much to his character that I like didn't really enjoy but so much that I was like yeah but he kind of makes up for it um the thing about this scene that I just I mean I, I liked this scene a lot I liked the way that uh they did the slowdown I liked his like kind of sad little moment where he like you know is sort of like this is the only time I can interact with this person is when I'm saving her life and she'll never remember me she, she won't even know what happened it's a little weird that he like strokes her hair well, here's the thing, and I don't like that this wasn't followed up on. I think there must be some scene on the cutting room floor that didn't make it in, is that that's Iris West, and that actress is going to come back for the Flashpoint movie, and I'm worried that people won't know who she is or why she's important. They won't remember that Barry saved her life because they didn't have some sort of, like, second scene where he, like, I don't know, he could have even, I mean, I wouldn't put it past Barry to do something creepy. Like, he just, like, runs past her at work or something and is like, look at that lady I saved. I love her now. Just something. So that when the same actress comes back, people are like, oh, yeah, I remember her from the Justice League. But I don't think people will. I hope they do, but I think there, there is 
so much context with the Flash series because when Iris West was cast there, obviously a bunch of racists were upset that it was a black woman playing Iris West, mm-hmm. um, which is why Zach stuck with it and was like, well, we're going to do a black woman as well. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, well, are they trying to, just because everyone knows about that? But I, I don't know. I don't know. Flash, I don't. It's weird because the Flash movie was already supposed to be out by now. Mm-hmm. We'll see. I, I hope they their rewrites who's, went well. Who's... Who's directing that? A Flashpoint? Uh, don't know. It's not Flashpoint anymore. They changed it. Oh, it's, it's not a Flashpoint movie. But it's gonna have. But it's gonna I have Michael gonna Keaton have, in it. Yes, it's gonna have elements of it, but I don't think it's fully like the Flashpoint, like him going back to save his mom. Yeah. Maybe they're gonna set up a multiverse. Maybe. <laughs> no, they are doing multiverse, which is why we're gonna see Michael Keaton and. Um, ben Affleck is confirmed to be in this one. It's Andy Muschietti. Oh um, yeah, Andy Muschietti directed, directed it. Yeah. Oh okay. Oh oh, uh, the the two it movies, like yeah. the new ones. Yeah. Oh, those yeah. are good movies. So I'm actually well, the first one is a really good movie, and the second one is a pretty good movie. Yeah. <laughs> I, we we like Andy Muschietti on this podcast. Um, yeah. I'm very bummed that Billy Crudup dropped out of the Flash movie, though. Yeah, you know what? I enjoyed seeing him a lot in this movie, and it actually made me wonder. Um, I noticed that... So, uh, Billy Crudup plays Dr. Manhattan in Watchmen, obviously, and uh, I thought it was interesting that Dr. Manhattan is Barry's father, and uh, the comedian is Batman's father, and uh, Sally Jupiter, the first Silk Spectre, is the voice of Superman's ship. And it made me wonder, like, is there some sort of symbolism in that, like, you know, Zach's first superhero movie, you know, these actors now are playing the parents of these other superheroes. It's like a passing of the torch. Or does he just like to work with the same actors? Because, you know, he already has that relationship. He just has the same circle of actors that he works with. It's like how every single movie of Tim Burton's has... uh... Helena Bonham Carter. Yeah, yeah. Well, she's his, she was his wife <laughs> for a number of years. And, well, Johnny, even Johnny Depp with Tim Burton. Yeah. Or yeah. Depp. You'll get Scorsese and De Niro. I guess uh, so. I just like the symbolism. Tarantino of and Leo and Brad Pitt. There's like, even more symbolism in the fact that like modern DC Comics has Dr. Manhattan and the Watchmen universe being like a crux of New 52 and Rebirth. True. Yeah. Where... Like it like bridges a gap between New Fifty Two and Rebirth, right? It does, and I don't know. Now my head is spinning because I'm just thinking about Thomas Wayne is also the comedian, and how can they exist in the same universe? And now I've gone cross-eyed. Um, but is this the same universe? Yeah, in my mind, it is. It's well, DC has this thing. I don't know if uh, you've been listening to the news sections of our podcast, but they have a thing going on now in the comics where after they did the Future State Initiative. They're, they have now the, the Omniverse, which is basically their license to full on be like, yeah, every single canon is canon now. Mm-hmm. Like all of the stuff that happened at any point in time that we've written in the comics exists in some form in some universe. <laughs> and they're all kind of like mingling together. <laughs> all those times Alfred died. <laughs> All those times Alfred died. All those times that uh, Bruce and Selena met for the first time. Yeah. Does this include the Pennyworth TV show? Oh, I hope so. Probably not. No, it, I think it's only comic stuff. <laughs> only comics. Okay. okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's wild. 
The only thing I didn't like about this scene with the Flash was the way that he runs. I don't like the way that his arms move when he runs. It seems really unnatural and not aerodynamic. I also thought it was weird that his shoes explode off of his feet when he runs. That's because he's twisting. (laughs) I suppose. But it, it was, it was, uh, I mean, it was, it was visually stunning, but it yes. was, it was weird to see shoes explode off of a man's feet. It was weird. Yes. <laughs> well, it was like hard to watch, like just the, him imagine how it felt running barefoot on like concrete that fast. Right? Yeah. And just yeah. like that the way he skid in tearing up the concrete with bare feet. Yeah. That's gotta be, that's gotta be painful. Yeah. Um, any, any other thoughts on this scene? Any other thoughts on, or, on the flash scene? Or, yeah, or just on, uh, like, the performance in general. The sesame seed. That beautiful shot of the sesame seed in that scene. Sesame seed. What and is the, the, the truck driver drops his hamburger and then it goes Oh, yeah. Low. Oh, yeah. There's a shot of just one huge sesame seed. It made me laugh. <laughs> just just yeah. a slow-mo shot of a seed. I, okay, so I don't know how how far in this is, but when does uh, Victor Stone play uh, GCU against Wisconsin? Oh yeah, that's, that's, a, that's kind of the next scene. That's the next part. part. Okay, yeah. okay. Um, this was one of my favorite parts of the whole film. Yeah, I I would love to talk about part uh, four. No, this is this is still oh, part three. It's still part three. Yeah, okay. I would love to talk about Victor. I would love to talk about Ray Fisher. Um, cause I feel like he's actually the main, one of the main driving forces behind this getting released and created. I feel like if he hadn't made, you know, the noise that he did and done everything that he did, you know, to speak out against Joss Whedon, speak out against WB and their executives and the people who mishandled this, I feel like if he hadn't gotten such a following behind him that we might've never seen the Snyder Cut and I'm glad it exists. It was actually, timing-wise, I think before he started coming forward, it was already greenlit. Yeah. I, I could be mistaken, but he was definitely the driving force in the campaign since it was announced and all of the truths coming out of what Joss did and how he was behaving on set with racist behaviors. And I saw even stuff, even more stuff today come out about some of Ray's complaints being on just how Joss was talking about Zach on set. Yeah. Which is trashing it. Yeah. The whole movie to actors, to everyone doing the reshoots. Like, why would you, that's so unprofessional. Yeah. I don't know. I always, I always handle these things with like, uh, you know, take it with a grain of, grain of salt because like, actors being upset with directors they can like say a bunch of nasty things and unless like other crew members also come out and confirm it it's like kind of just hearsay i think there's kind of a a lot of people though people have come out is it really a lot of people who worked on um buffy with joss uh have come forward including a lot of women and there was quite a few behind the scenes people who came forward on justice league yeah I think I think Joss Whedon might be about to receive some sort of reckoning in the next in the next couple yeah. of months. Yeah, he's like blacklisted by Hollywood now. No, but I think that the next time a movie comes out, it'll start. It'll slowly start to become kind of a Woody Allen situation where people one yeah, by one are like, sure. "Oh no!" Like I worked with Joss Whedon, and then I found out that that there's all these things about him. I'm so sorry. I didn't even know. It's gonna be that kind of thing. Ugh. Um. But yeah, so it, it makes it even sweeter that when this movie came out, it 
you know, is really Cyborg's story. He's a great driving force in this movie. And that Ray Fisher is a, does a great job. I really enjoyed his acting. I love that he wasn't afraid to, like, show emotion, even though he's playing this, like, big, bulky football player. He's still, you know, like... Show emotion? Yeah, he's, he cries. Yeah, we saw him cry. That's so rare. He's, I feel like he's in sulking mode most of the movie. Well, most of the movie is sulking. But I he's feel. not. He's not holding it in, and he's you know he shows passion. He shows fear. He shows pain. Even though, which is interesting that he he's a cyborg that he's supposed to be like you know mechanical man, but he shows more emotion than a lot of the people in this movie. <laughs> I'm talking about you, I Ben think Affleck. That's why I really enjoyed him. It's yeah. very deep. I agree. Yeah. I also, I just loved his origin story and the way Zach told it. It was very reminiscent of Dr. Manhattan's origin story and how that was told. Yeah. Did you want to say something, Josh, about um, the GCU football game? Uh, yeah, they're fighting Wisconsin. I, I think you, uh, do you, do you have something to say about, like, Zack Snyder's favorite team or something? Oh, yeah. He wanted to originally set, he wanted to film, uh, Batman v Superman in Green Bay. I think he's from Green Bay. Uh, but then it was just, like, the location scouting, like, wasn't working out. So Wisconsin, is it, like, Wisconsin State is a university that, I guess that so. Gotham City's playing against? I guess, yeah. Okay. They traveled a, f- a long way. Gotham's on the East Coast. We think, yeah. <laughs> I think. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. Natalie, did you know that? That uh, Zach's from Green Bay? That he's like loves Green Bay? I did not know that. Yeah, little fun facts. Little I Zach facts. something about Wisconsin, though, but I just couldn't remember the details about it. Yeah. You know, the thing that's weird about the one of these scenes with him and Silas Stone is... He says, if you were there, mom would still be alive. And I just have written in my notes, how? How would his mother still be alive if his dad had gone to the football game? Silas is a better driver. <laughs> well, any, any sort of butterfly effect. If the dad was there... You think, you think that he's, that's his argument? They would have what? I said, you think that's his argument? Is that it would have butterfly affected everything? Or would Absolutely. it just have had both parents also killed? No, I think it, it would have butterfly affected because it'd been like, oh well, we wouldn't have been on that exact spot of the road at that time. That's what I perceived. Dad about. always takes me out to get ice cream when I win a football yeah. game, and we would have been in the ice cream parlor. We would have gotten hamburgers and floats. <laughs> oh, that makes me sad. Um. I mean, yeah, it's just one of those things you say when you're grieving. Is it's he's he's at the uh, is that a stage of grief? anger? Anger, <laughs> yeah, anger. It's uh, like the first stage of grief. No, the first one is denial. Oh, that's right, denial. I think it's guilt that would have him saying that. Yeah, guilt, anger, denial, denial, guilt, bargaining. Anger. Everything, pretty much everything except acceptance is all coursing through Victor at once at this moment. Because he lost his mom and he lost his body. And those were those were two of his favorite things. <laughs> be sad. Um, this, I don't know, I want to call it a dream sequence. This cyber sequence where oh Victor's all about his powers is so insanely wild It's extra. To me. It's just so extra. It's so extra and it's honestly wonderful. It's horribly animated but it's fine. It's fine that that's how it well, goes. I think that's the point because it's just inside of his head basically. Yeah. It's just so weird when he ha- the the bear and the bull which mm-hmm. Josh had to explain to me which 
was explained to him through through Reddit memes. <laughs> Wall Street bets. Wall Street bets. The bear, and now I understand bearish and bullish and all that stuff. The thing, honestly, the thing that bothered me about this sequence the most is that I'm not sure Zack Snyder knows how evictions work. Because that one lady gets, she like just comes home and she sees the thing taped to her door and then her door is locked. I don't think you're allowed to do that. You have to give somebody like 30 days notice before you change their locks. Yeah, she gets the eviction notice and her locks are changed the same day. Yeah. So that just struck me as weird. And isn't it, there's also like footage of her like not getting tips at her job or something. I don't, I don't know. (laughs) It's, it's, it's very strange. Um, I don't know. What did you think of that sequence, Nat? I liked it. I just think those are just movie things, you know? Like, yeah. That you just have to overlook sometimes. It's like story, st- uh, storytelling shorthand. Yeah. Yeah. Like, just like little... I can be the same way where I'll, I'll like hang on a detail, but then it's just like, it's a movie. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, we are a pedantic podcast that uh, points out the annoying little things that don't make sense to us. I liked it because it reminded me of the video game Watch Dogs. Yeah. It felt like he was playing Watch Dogs. Where he... He, uh, he takes money out of somebody else's bank account and he puts it into to the... the eviction po- lady. Yeah. <laughs> Which is something that you can actually do in Watch Dogs. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah but overall, interesting scene. Makes it a lot easier to sort of sympathize with who he is, what he's got going for him. You learn about his, his actual powers... Then there's another Amy Adams scene, unless we have more to say about Cyborg. <laughs> no, I'm I I just want to say while we're still on the topic that um, I hate his design, and I know that it's because they didn't have enough money to like actually finish the effects. But he just doesn't seem heavy, and that's I feel something really important. He's about supposed to be like that. a football player. Yeah. He's supposed to have a heft to him. Well, to me, it f- he feels just like top heavy but i think it's just because like his actual like the only meat of his body is up top and everything else is just like here's my robot legs but (laughs) he feels very top heavy looking at him he does he's got bow legs that really like weirds me out every time they do a full a full shot he's got like weird kind of goat kind of legs yeah it's so it's so strange honestly i wish he'd kept the hoodie i wish he'd kept the hoodie on for most of the movie (laughs) i feel like that would have uh helped a little bit but i'm i'm fine with it all right, you can move on to your okay. Lois Lane scene. Yeah, so is this the, the the sadness, the sad scene in her apartment? I believe so. Okay, yeah. When she has his cape, right? Yeah. Um. Yeah. So she talks to Martha, and well, the note I just have here is like every Amy Adams scene that has happened so far in the movie at this point has been almost nothing. I mean, they set up that she goes to his grave, I guess, to explain why she's there later. But it's like, it's been a long, like a lot of long scenes where she doesn't do or say much that like contributes to the plot. And even this scene with Martha, where she comes and she's like, I had to sell the farm and you have to be strong. I feel like they could have summed this up super quickly and like maybe not even have had to have done this. Like she could have just when Superman comes alive later on in the film and goes to the farm, there could have been like a for sale sign and then Amy Adams could have explained it to him in like one or two sentences. They don't need this whole big setup. And I know they want to show like her emotional depth and how she's taking Superman's death. But then there's like really no payoff to that 
because she doesn't show up in the second half of the movie. (laughs) But to me, there's a lot of payoff, because this is a trilogy. She was a main character of Man of Steel. We have all of that context. She was a main character in Batman v Superman. We have all of that context. So there's no scenes with Clark. The only scene partner they really can give her is Martha, Mm-hmm. Which is why they created this scene to reveal Martian Manhunter. Yeah. So I see that as more of the purpose of this scene. And that was kind of the reason why was because they Lois is a main character. They still need to include her. But who is she going to have scenes? Like, who could she have scenes with? The only person, realistically, is Martha. Yeah. Um, I like that you mentioned that. And I, I agree with you that it was just really a way for them to set up Martian Manhunter. And I'm glad they did. It was a really nice surprise. But and again, this kind of thing is like, why did they set him up? I again, I guess, like like she was saying earlier, like Natalie was saying earlier, uh, this was to set up like a, a trilogy or whatever later on. Like they, mm-hmm. they wanted to have more movies. But when releasing this, they knew that they weren't going to have more movies. <laughs> So why include his Martian original Manhunter? vision? It's important to see his original yeah. vision, Joshua. Like, I guess. Have you not been paying attention? When they had greenlit, they had it greenlit for three movies. So they wrote this script when they were writing Batman v Superman, knowing that they already had storyboards for Justice League two and three because they were already greenlit. Uh huh. So this is just a chapter of what we should have seen in the future mm-hmm. and it's just being released as is so and this kind of gets me this kind of gets me to something that i thought i was going to say later on but like listen i liked this movie it was much better than the first run of it and and but what i want to see is i want to see a version of it that's cut down to like what they could have released in theaters, knowing that they're not going to do more of these. Just like, speed up all the slow mo. It'll sp- get you to two and a half hours. Speed up the slow mo. <laughs> take out the the references to Martian Manhunter. Take out the references. No. Why? Keep him in. I like him. He doesn't. He doesn't service the plot of this specific movie. But I am glad but that he like new characters like that. It was so cool seeing him, especially because that character's been around for the past two movies yeah and everyone always thought like is he martian manhunter are they just teasing so i thought it was payoff that they finally revealed that general swanwick was him yeah no you're right and i think that's something that maybe you know since josh and i have only watched those movies Superman, and i've never watched man of steel uh, definitely went over our head until i saw that but honestly me as just somebody who's like you know doesn't really remember that character just seeing that it was martian manhunter i was like oh man my man i know him i mean yeah it's fan service but like and i'm a fan and i feel service so thank you zach <laughs> it's fan service that isn't in service of the plot. No, I guess. I've, I've always disliked this term. What is fan service? Why does it have to be called fan service? Like, you're serving up a movie so that people are going to watch. Why well, not put things in that? I, listen, I don't enjoy. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't mind fan service, but I think fan service for the sake of itself. I, I don't like I I like it when you know like the Gardner Fox reference that's neat that's like something if you're in the know you see it you go pretty neat but if you're not in the know 
then you don't go like, what the heck was that? It's just like that, that Gardner Fox thing is just a truck that drives by. Okay. Like nobody's going to question that, but this whole Martian Manhunter thing, people who don't know who Martian Manhunter is, that they get introduced to him in the middle of this movie and he doesn't explain who he is until the very, very end. It's like, pretty confusing for people who don't know what's going on with comics like don't don't have the background of the comic heroes and i know that there's also this fine line that you walk where you don't want to take like uh the the cynical executive uh move of being like people won't understand this there's no way they'll understand and then you end up over explaining stuff but i think that this is more towards the like people won't understand this than you're over explaining it (laughs) I can see what both of you are saying, and I do kind of agree with both of you. Um, <laughs> Way to take a side. I know. Yeah, no, I fall right in the middle because, you know, I I agree that if, but I also have a conspiracy theory that <laughs> specifically the reason why they do these kind of things is for the community of YouTubers who can then make videos about like the ending explained or like who was that guy explained or like 25,000 things that you didn't understand in Zack Snyder's Justice League. And, and I get that. No, and, yeah. and in I the Marvel movies, in the Marvel movies when they do that, it's usually because it's it's usually relegated to like an end credit scene where they throw that end credit scene and if you aren't in the know, you go, what the heck was that? And then you go and watch a YouTube video. But in the in the DC movies, they just plop these things right in the center. They're just <laughs> like, figure this out. Here's a puzzler for you. It's like in the comics when they're like, how did Batman figure that out? Do you know? <laughs> what were you going to say, Nat? Um, a couple things. Well, I mean, they did that even, to go back to Batman v Superman with the nightmare scene, that for five years I have been hung up on because it's not explained. It haunts my dreams. But I, I knew that it was going to be explained in the coming movies. But how, like, going back, how does a viewer judge what's fan service or not? We're not in the writer's room. Yeah. We don't know what was written. It's hard so to that's parse. Where I come with, like, have issues with unless we have someone confirming like yeah this was inspired by like fan movements or whatever it is but to like pinpoint something it's just hard to judge mm-hmm. uh yeah the only other thing that i have about part four the i wrote this in big big letters is uh anti-life equation kill me what is anti-life and then three question marks <laughs> Just because every time I hear it, it gives me uh, another aneurysm. <laughs> it just upsets me. It is one of the more boring parts of the DC. It's so boring. And they make so many things about it. And I, I've said this before to both of you that I have watched maybe now five or six movies and television shows that are specifically about the new gods and the anti-life equation. And I still don't understand what is going on ever. I don't understand any of it. And it just upsets me. And I shouldn't I shouldn't have to feel this way. <laughs> the only other time I've like come in contact with it was when Smallville did it on their very last season, season mm-hmm. ten, and Darkseid was the villain. And I, I I couldn't tell you a single plot point. <laughs> no. It was just the whole thing they did, they were just like, He's darkness, darkness is coming. That was the whole season. None of it was explained and then he just came and he was the darkness and conquered. It was very weird. I don't really enjoy it, but I am so far enjoying this. Mm -hmm. I'm saying so far, like, they're making more. But I 
would have liked to see the conclusion of Dark Side coming to Earth. Yeah. I think we'll get it in some form or another, whether it's a television show or a movie far down the line. I don't know. Yeah. But I think we'll get it. I mean, Young Justice already so did too. it. And are you saying like in the... The, the DCEU? EU, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, watch Young Justice. That's a good show. It is a good show. Yeah. <laughs> um, any Anything else about part four? Because then we go on to... Uh, Superman coming back. We actually didn't talk at all about the the first uh, Steppenwolf fight, which I'm pretty sure it's in part four, right? No, are you talking about the the Amazons fight him first, and then... No, I'm talking about the fight in the sewer. The fight in the sewer. Before they bring back Superman. Yeah, that's when the four of them come together, and then we kind of get Aquaman comes in and joins. Um, They fight him in a giant crab. I will say, I I just love... Zack's vision of Wonder Woman. I prefer this warrior Diana way more than what Patty Jenkins sees her as. Okay. I still enjoy Wonder the first Wonder Woman. I love, but in 1984 we like got away from her being a warrior at all. It was just like I'm gonna talk my way out of things. Mm-hmm. So it was nice to kind of go back to see this. Uh, I don't want to call her a savage, but she had her sword and her shield and. She was killing people. I liked it. <laughs> yeah, I thought she was really, really powerful. I definitely enjoyed all of her, like, fight scenes. Mm-hmm. I liked all of their, like, combo moves. You know what I really enjoyed? And we were just talking about Aquaman. I really enjoyed the little interplay between the two of them, um, between uh, Diana and Arthur throughout the whole movie. And it's just a couple of scenes where they're kind of just like, whoa, our people have been fighting for thousands of years, but now we're... Yeah hanging out together isn't that crazy and Arthur's like I don't care I'm not really an Atlantean whatever and she's like well I've been off my island for like a hundred years so like whatever too I guess um and this is another thing I feel like would have benefited a lot from like having more movies to lead up to it yeah show us a uh, an Atlantean uh and Themyscarian war exactly at some point yeah or- or even drop it as like a... You know, that's a major plot point in Flashpoint, like, so maybe we'll get that. <laughs> yeah, like drop it in the background of like mm-hmm. one of the Aquaman movies or one of the Wonder Woman movies. Actually, to be fair, you and I have not seen the Aquaman movie, and I'm pretty sure Natalie has. Do they talk about this at all in the Aquaman movie? Um, I, bl- I would have to go back and watch it, but I, uh, I'm, I don't think there's a history lesson or anything about that. Um... But I was just going to mention, like, because technically Aquaman is set after this. So Arthur, the Arthur we see in this, like, he doesn't have his hero's journey yet. None of it. I just thought he was a little, like, insufferably negative the entire movie. movie. Yeah. Kind of, like, I don't know if they thought it would be humorous because Jason Momoa has that kind of charm about him. But it just came off as just, like angry dickish until like until the end when victor's father died and we saw like that sympathy from arthur i just thought he was just kind of there yeah just being a dick that's an interesting take when you think about the fact that like jason momoa's arguably most famous role is in game of thrones as as Cal Drogo, who is very, like, dour and, like, not a single thing funny about him at all, which, you know, Jason Momoa plays great, and the man has a ton of charisma in real life, so it's not like this isn't anything we've ever seen from him before. We know we know he can do that. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, I guess it's so I know a little more about Aquaman in like the comics and this follows his I want to say it's his like new 52 arc where he is like a, a kind of a bitter person when he's like sort of just figuring out his powers and, and trying to to reconcile being an Atlantean or being uh, like a mainland person. Uh, and, and I think that they, again, this is another one where it's like, they should have set this up in a solo Aquaman movie. If they would have had a solo Aquaman movie where it's him and his internal conflict with becoming an Atlantean or, or before, like, before you go any further, is, is this just what happens in the Aquaman movie? Like the whole Aquaman movie is, we see his parents' story, how they met, cause his, his dad is a human and his mom is Nicole Kid- Kidman, the queen of Atlantis. And it's him being kind of broody in the, in the beginning of the movie. He has a drinking problem. He's not happy with life. He doesn't want to be, have any part of Atlantis. And then his journey is basically like his evil half-brother is running Atlantis and wants to conquer the land world. But didn't you so, say that that movie takes place after this movie? Yes, because of this movie was released in 2018. Mm-hmm. And Justice League technically came out in 2017. Yeah, but so but like timeline wise, after yeah, timeline is after. That's it's. That's what I was saying. Well, like, and again, that's weird. Like they should have done that movie then before this one and set him up. So instead of him brooding in this one, he could be the triumphant Atlantean hero that he is at the end of that movie. Well, Josh, why don't you go work at WB? I should. Honestly, they should hire me. I'll make a Blue and Gold movie. I'll make a Batman Beyond movie. Uh, I'll... Uh. I'll make, um... You'll make That's a Tana movie with Dr. Fate. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Listen, I'll take that, that Paul Dini comic that I was reading with Zatanna and Black Canary, and I'll make that into a movie. Or, or, or a six-part series. Yes. <laughs> Listen, I if they put me in charge of development at, at uh, WB, I would be pumping out, like, as many DC superhero movies as I could, and they would all be good. I'm sure. I'm sure they would all be great. <laughs> in this particular instance, I don't mind that it's after, because I think, again, from their point of view... This was like the beginning of their journey in creating an expanded universe. So they had room they in their mind to do an Aquaman solo after this and probably two more after that, all intertwined with Justice League 2 and 3. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't make sense to me that they were they would go into this movie being like, well, we have like, what is it? Two of these heroes have not had their own solo movie. Three. But- Three? Which yeah. three? Well, okay, so you got Cyborg, Batman hasn't had his own solo movie. Flash. And oh, and Flash. Yeah, yeah. no, you're right. Yeah, so the like the whole idea of a team-up movie is that you know the team before you go into the team-up movie. No, I've seen a couple scenes. It's fine. <laughs> uh, I think it, it works in this context because we had the four hours and yeah, I think they were substantially substantially explored except. Arthur, it just, I don't know, something about it, it just wasn't getting through to me. Also, Mm -hmm. I know this is probably just, like, a timing issue with Zack Snyder not being able to collaborate with James Wan, but in this, all of the scenes underwater, they have these, like, talk bubbles where they have oxygen, Mm -hmm. and I 
I think it's because they didn't have the technology figured out, whereas when they went into Aquaman, they kind of paved the way for this new CGI where it's all underwater, even though they filmed out of water. That was a question that I had, because, like, in the comics... uh, Aquaman can talk to people underwater. That's yeah. like the Atlanteans can just talk underwater. That's their thing. Is like they they can speak in such a way. And I think it's even explained like that the Atlant the native Atlantean tongue uh, is like it lends itself more to water acoustics or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, and like, in, in the movie, it's dolphin squeaks, <laughs> which is fun. Yeah, I think it was definitely, like, a technology budget thing. Yeah, okay. I, I think you're right. Um, just, like, an overall, like, it's easier to just shoot normal and and then go from there. I'm sure he just wasn't able to figure out how to make it actually underwater. Just make everyone look wet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love I mean, it. You, you guys really should watch Aquaman because the way they did it, it was, it was beautiful. Yeah, we should. I, I watched uh, some of it on a, the person in front of me on a plane was watching it, <laughs> and I caught a couple scenes, but I didn't have any audio, but it was colorful. Was this the same plane that you uh, met Kevin Conroy, voice actor for Batman, on? No. Oh. This was the, the the second trip that I took for work oh, on okay. a plane. That was the first trip I took for work on a plane, was me Got and Kevin. It. Anyway, um, so should we move on to uh, Resurrecting Superman? No, we didn't get. We didn't even go through the like Steppenwolf fight at uh, all. All right, I don't have anything to say. Do you have anything to say about yes, it? Yes, you do. You definitely do. There's a big Steppenwolf fight, and Batman gets his his big uh, tank, and he fires a big missile at Stephen Wolf. <laughs> so, <laughs> Josh and I had a part, and I, I I told you about this. Not this is mostly for our listeners. Um, there's a part, so the reason we call him Steven Wolf is because I saw a YouTube video that was comparing uh, Zach's cut versus Joss's cut, and uh, for some reason there was one on there that said, Steven Wolf fights Diana, and I just thought that was so funny. So we saw that before we started watching this part, and the he, Batman like fires a projectile at Steppenwolf, and he catches it, and, he, and I still think that Zach framed it intentionally this way. He like takes the missile and he like holds it in front of him and it just looks like a big part of his anatomy, a big phallus. And yeah. When you told me that, I thought I went back and watched it and you're right. I'm pretty sure it was intentional, which he has been known on occasion to do before. Yeah. A very famous shot from Man of Steel where the, the Kryptonian Council sends Zod and his followers up into a ship to then banish them to the Phantom Zone. And these capsules that they send them up in are phallic-shaped. So <sighs> that is where he brings in his sense of humor, just, like, does not comment on it. So I think it probably was intentional, because it, it was... It was pretty like on the nose. The it way was. Was well, it wasn't. Was. It wasn't Zach's humor that got to me. It was Becca's. Uh, when when it happened, she leans over to me and goes, "Eat my pee pee." <laughs> yes. I said, Look at my pee pee. <laughs> and then he blasts off into the boom tube, but I said, "Stephen Wolf out." <laughs> And we had to pause the movie for 10 minutes. Yeah, we, laugh. we laughed. We laughed like heartily and out loud for like 10 minutes straight. Uh, you gotta entertain yourself that. sometimes in a four hour movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's literally the only thing I have to say about that fight scene. But if the two of you have anything else to say, please go ahead. I already said my bit about uh, him uh, 
Diana. Joshua, anything about the, the fight scene? No, no, nothing else about the fight scene. All right. I, it was better than, again, it was better than the Whedon cut yeah. fight scene. Because they had the same fight scene, they just like cut it short. Oh, you know what? The only thing I miss, is the only thing I miss from the Whedon cut, but I guess it doesn't really service Barry's character all that much, is uh, he's like nervous about going in and like saving people from Steppenwolf. And Batman just looks at him and he's like, just save one person. That's all you have to do. And he just, like, he goes in and he saves one person, just, like, zips in, pulls him out, and then he's like, oh, well, that felt good. I guess I'll go save more people. And I just think that was, like, a really cute thing. But, I mean, Barry was doing something different in this cut, and I didn't hate that either. So, either way, I don't know. I just thought it was a cute line, and I kind of missed it a little bit. It was definitely good build, like, character building with Batman and him. Yeah. It gave them more interplay. Yeah. And I always like Batman as a mentor figure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's... Let's heal Superman. Let's resurrect Superman. <laughs> Bring him back from the dead. This time without a mullet, unfortunately. Yeah. I, I'll i never forgive them for what, not having... What a coward. ...resurrected Superman have a mullet. Z- Zack Snyder is a coward He's for not giving him a, a mullet. Absolute coward. Um, although this is different from Death and Return, because in Death and Return, he just is like, yeah, I just went into a healing coma. I'm fine. But this one, he was actually dead dead. They had to bring him back with... Mother box technology, mm-hmm. which is yeah. interesting. Uh, well, my when he originally died, I was just like, just bake him in the sun, just like put yeah. him out on some like solar panels. Whole whole come back real quick. I don't. I contextually, I just feel like why couldn't the sun just bring him back to life? I mean, I doesn't he get he gets like, like stabbed or something, right? By by uh, Doomsday. Yeah, he gets um. Literally, like kryptonite in his chest when he's stabbing. Yeah, so Dude, so that's why they can't just bring him back is because he's actually hurt real bad. <laughs> Surgery. They need a they need a kryptonite lined scalpel. Scalpel, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I really did like this part. I liked that it sets up the team all working together. Um, I really liked how Barry played a super important part. I liked how, I like how the, all these like little scenes, like when you get down to like the big stuff that they're doing, it's really like Barry and Victor working together to solve yeah. all the big problems. And I think it's great. I, I thought it was interesting because you're right. Like they, they did have the more important parts, but I think it was, um, nice even towards the end. I mean, this has to do with part six. I just thought it was really nicely evened out. Like, none of them felt out of place. Like, in some instances, when they're fighting these big bads, it's like, well, why the hell is Batman there? He can't do f***ing anything. Like, he can throw a punch. Especially in that costume of his. The the Ben Affleck costume is so bulky. It looks like you can barely move it. And, like, the Michael Keaton Batman gets a lot of flack for not being able to move his neck. But at least he can move his, like, arms quickly in that costume. The Ben Affleck costume is so bulky. That's why he stays in his car most of the time. Yeah, exactly. All these fight scenes. (laughs) Um, but I just thought that was well done. Like, I didn't feel like any of them shouldn't have been there, which yeah. I felt a lot before in team-up movies. Yeah. There wasn't a whole lot different in the um, actual fight with Superman when he wakes up, uh, except for there was just a couple fewer quips from Barry and from Bruce when they're fighting him. Stuff but, that had been ADR'd in, yeah. in, the, in the Joss Whedon cut. But there's that great shot where Barry's trying to, like, run 
around Superman while he's holding, I want to say it's Diana and Victor and Arthur all at the same time. And his eyes just sort of like slide yeah. over and he's like, uh, I am just as fast as you, buddy. Yeah. And that's just a really amazing shot. Um, we also have to talk about before that, the nightmare that Victor sees. He sees part of the nightmare with Diana dead. Oh, yeah. With Arthur dead. And then with Lois dead, burned to a crisp in Clark's arms Mm -hmm. as he's succumbing to the anti-life. So that was interesting and a bit shocking to see just right before they bring him back. Yeah. What do you think, like, makes Victor able to see that? Is that ever explained? Is it because... You know, he's getting influenced by Barry rewriting time. Um, He's, like, plugged into the ship's AI at that point. Yeah, like, I am assuming it has something to do with the mother box being connected. I don't don't know. I'm sure it was going to be explained somewhere down the line. But I don't know why he specifically saw it. I can understand why Batman's having dreams because the Flash visited him from the future. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure why Victor saw it. I guess unless tapping into the mother box, I, I'm coming up a theory with a theory as we talk. <laughs> okay. You have, you have a lot more, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like faith that they would have explained it later. Well, I, I really trust Zach and his vision. It just sucks. The studios get in the way and they cut things and it, it takes away from what was supposed to happen. Yeah. But I, I do trust if that was in there and this nightmare has been mapped out for over eight years. I have trust that there was an end. Yeah. And that everything would be explained. But right when they bring Clark back or when Barry touches the box and Superman shoots up, the AI says the future has taken route in the present. So I'm hypothesizing that when Victor touched the mother box, he was just seeing the future Mm. via Superman. That's not, that doesn't happen after Barry reverses time. Cause I know Barry reverses time a little bit in this scene and it like is a little bit of a setup for flashpoint. Cause when he's running the box, like touches, it goes like too far into the, yeah, it comes out like a couple inches. Yeah. 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 Is, um, is that message before or after he reverses time? It's after. It's, okay. It's after that because it's after Clark shoots up through the roof. Um, and then the, the AI just says the future has taken route in the present. And then it just cuts back to whatever the hell Clark was doing. So it's a quote from Excalibur. Okay. It's a quote from Excalibur. And I'm sure there's more to it, but it's an Easter egg because in Bas- uh, Batman v Superman, when... Bruce's parents died, Excalibur was playing at the theater. Oh, okay. Okay, not interesting. Zorro, not Zorro? I, I, have, I cannot analyze why, what it has to do with Clark coming back. Okay. Here's my theory. Yes. Clark's the one who killed Batman's parents. Boom. No. There you go. That's how, he, that's how he knew his mom's name was Martha. N- no. Boom. Solved it. He didn't know his, his name was Martha. They just have, the, their moms have the same name. Have we gotten to the part yet that no. you said, oh, okay. Yes. And that's, it's still it's, coming. It's what I'm getting to. Okay, go ahead. They have this big fight and then uh, like Superman is coming after Batman and he's throwing everybody out of the way and this would have been the perfect time for him to say Martha again. Who, Batman? Yeah. 
like Superman walks up to walks up to Batman and he's gonna like punch him or whatever, and Batman should have been like Martha. <laughs> like, uh, Martha. <laughs> well, that's the other. Uh, I'm happy there was that stupid line that Joss wrote where in that confrontation Clark says, "Do you bleed?" Mm-hmm. With the bad CGI, I'm so happy they took that out. Yeah. And he's like, something's bleeding. Batman's yeah. funny now. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad they took that out, too. I, this, that fight scene was very, like, Injustice-inspired. There's even parts in it where... Well, it's kind of, it was kind of a glimpse of what's to come. Yeah. Yeah, which is, again, like Becca was saying, if you've played the Injustice video games, it's, like, very... The, the nightmare, like, what's being foreshadowed in the nightmare is strikingly similar to what happens in the Injustice universe. Mm-hmm. You, you just replace a few characters, and it's it's the same plot, essentially. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Instead of the Joker killing Lois, it's Darkseid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. I think... Is it wasn't it that the Joker was supposed to kill Lois in the Batcave, or is it Darkseid uh, kills? No, it was always Darkseid. Okay. He kills yeah. her with his Omega beams. That's why she's uh, she's burned to a crisp, right? Oh. Yeah. Okay. Aha! Look at that. I didn't even but know she, that. I just kind of guessed. All right. Yeah, good job. They're in the Batcave, and you can see Robin's uh, costume in the back. Yeah. I don't know why she was in there. Maybe they were lovers. I don't know. You and I have talked about this. That like maybe yeah. when I don't know. Clark died, they started seeing each other. I don't know. They were kind of supposed to set that up at some point. Well, yeah, that was the the canceled scripts before everything got rewritten. Hmm. Um, Because when Batman v Superman came out, they made Zack rewrite the whole Justice League trilogy. Yeah. But that romance was in there at some point on the table. I got you. Very weird. Yeah. Not much else about... Part five. Yeah, we can move on to part six, uh, which is where, uh, you know, Clark gets resurrected and he immediately flies back to Kansas with Lois. Um, that's still stuff that we did see in the Joss Whedon cut. Mm-hmm. This, I thought this the this part was weirdly edited, though, because they kept sort of cutting between. I honestly wouldn't have minded if we just had, like, a solitary, like, 20... 25 minutes, what, however much time they needed in Kansas before just going back to the action. Because I didn't really like the tone shifts between, like, we get some, like, really nice character building and, like, preparing the team and just sort of, like, getting ready to fight Darkseid. And then we just cut to this, like, nice little moment in a field and Clark's not wearing a shirt and they're just sort of, you know, hugging. And, and talking I'm like, about life. I'm like, this is giving me whiplash right now. I, I kind of liked the, the contrast, and that scene was just, it was, it felt small, but it was so big, just because of, for me personally, like, Batman v Superman came out six, five years, six years ago, mm-hmm. five years ago, I can't do math, five years ago, 2016, Yeah. and Henry Cavill's Superman is just my favorite character, and I've just been sitting here twiddling thumbs for five years, hoping that I'll be able to see what was supposed to happen. So for me, finally just having him back and having, seeing this hopeful Superman, whereas in the past in this trilogy, he's always been um, jaded and really struggling. So we're finally getting to like the more comics Superman. Yeah. But I 
I really enjoyed his journey, so it was nice to see that payoff for me. Yeah. I don't know. It's weird to me that there needs to be a journey from for Superman to, like, be a little bit more humanized. I always thought it was kind of strange the way that he's portrayed in, you know, Zack's vision is as this person that's kind of, like, out, like, considers himself outside of Earthlings, considers himself to just sort of be kind of separated from them. When, like, he basically, he was basically born on Earth. He, you know, all of his living memories are being on Earth. He was raised in Kansas. It's strange to me that he doesn't start out as, like, super humanized. But, I mean, it's his vision. Well, yeah, and that, that's why I like it. A lot of people criticize that in Man of Steel and BVS that he was just, like, this cynical character and Superman is, should be smiling all the time and blah, 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 blah. But I, I like that they they made him human, and I felt that was realistic, even though that was kind of besides the point. He just he felt outcasted his entire life. Just He doesn't know his parentage, that alone regardless of feeling at home in Kansas and having a normal life, if you don't know your heritage, that does mess you up as a person. Yeah. And you have to hide who you truly are your entire life from every single person who's in your life besides your adoptive parents. Mm -hmm. That weighs on you. In most canons, he does get to know his parents through, like, the archives that got sent with him in his ship, though. Like, he, he, he goes and he's able to see, like, holograms and memories from... Uh, his parents that were left on the ship in the in the Fortress of Solitude, and there's another thing in in the like comics and in like the animated series and stuff where um, what's his name Brainiac is able to give him more information because he brings the like shrunken city of ooh I'm blanking. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> it's it's like a shrunken Kryptonian city to Clark, and that's another way that he sort of like gets to by proxy experience Kryptonian culture. Mm-hmm. Right, and they, they they did delve into that a bit because we had uh, Russell Crowe as Jor-El, and they had his voiceover when he was um, getting his suit back. That's on, true. That's true. In this with, movie, um, they do touch on that. Yeah, along with. Um, uh, Jonathan. Yeah, Jonathan Ken. I can't remember. The, uh, Kevin Costner. Kevin yeah, Costner. I was like, it's Kevin something. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. What, I thought it was dad, what great dads to have. I want Russell Crowe and <laughs> Kevin Costner as my dad. Yeah. <laughs> Very true. Um, yeah. I don't, I, I, I didn't hate the changes in this part. I thought it was, it was nice. It was just the tone shifts really that kind of messed it up for me, but yeah, I, I definitely see what you're saying about Clark's arc, and that does make it a, a, a lot more meaningful. Candor, yep. the shrunken city of Candor. All right, thank, <laughs> I got you. It. thank you, Joshua. <laughs> um, sh- should we move on to this final confrontation with uh, Stephen Wolf? We shall. Yes. We shall. Um, since this is a Batman podcast, <laughs> I just want to talk about Batman for a minute. Mm-hmm. Um. I really liked his action in this little scene. Um, I really enjoyed his like fluidity with these uh, with his moves. I liked all the ways that he sort of fought with his car, and I really thought it showed <laughs> a lot of intelligence in him as a character. 
So I enjoyed it. He gets a gold star for me. That's what I mean, what I was saying earlier. Like, I think it's hard sometimes to put a character like that in these situations. And they, it was really well done. Like, he didn't feel out of place. There was that one, um, it was kind of funny because it was kind of a Joss Whedon shot from Age of Ultron. Mm Mm-hmm of the entire Justice League minus Clark, where we have Wonder Woman, Flash, Cyborg, Aquaman, and then we have the Batmobile. Yeah. <laughs> like, that was the that was the five shot, is it, him and the Batmobile, and even just Batman. Yeah, it even slowed down, which yeah. uh, we I think we see in the beginning of Age of Ultron, when they're, like, jumping yeah. over the thing. Um, the fact that they were all in a line, though, I was like, I was like, that's a little more Russo Brothers. It's like, just have them run at a thing. Yeah. It's fine. <laughs> But yeah, no, I did like that hero shot. And uh, I, I did like this Batmobile. Let's see, I have in my notes here. Uh, Snyder Batmobile looks like the Arkham Knight Batmobile. Still a little too, still a little too tanky for my taste. But I understand that this situation calls for big guns. Yeah, definitely so. <laughs> I mean, Batman's kind of insane to just be out there like a human with guns, yeah. <laughs> fighting a god. Yeah. And and the swarms of bug people. Yeah, parademons. You, you know what I loved? One of the most metal parts in the whole finale was when Aquaman rode that parademon like a surfboard down the building. That was cool. <laughs> that was very cool. It was so cool. It's a it's a great action scene. This whole thing. It is, and but okay, I. I do have a caveat. It's a great action scene, even up to this point. But by the time Superman shows up, it really makes you wonder why this needed to be a team-up movie at all. Because really, all the Justice League needed to do was team up to resurrect Superman. And then he's got it from there. (laughs) Like, it's nice that he let the others help, but like he didn't need them. And it's so clear from the second he shows up. Had they had they gone and resurrected him first, they wouldn't have had to go through like half of the stuff that they went through in the rest of the movie. Be a movie. Yeah. yeah, for there to have been a movie, they had to they had to be there too. Or else it's not a Justice League. Overall, there was just more Superman in general. I think his for his second first flight should have been way longer than it was. Like we waited almost two and a half, three hours to see him come back. And he gets like a 20 second little flight, whereas everyone else in the film gets like a 20 minute on screen arc, if not more. Mm -hmm. I just felt like that moment should have been like a full flying scene just to have some more payoff. It just felt short and we cut to seeing the whole Justice League getting ready to go fight. Um, yeah, that's just my one little complaint. I just, he should have had more dialogue as well. We saw him open his mouth about three times throughout the yeah. whole movie. He doesn't really have any lines. You're right. That's so he weird. Says, it's, it's very disappointing. I, I just wanted more from him. Yeah. Um, I mean, in the final fight, we, he says, in the fight, he says, not impressed. And then he just fights the rest of the time, doesn't say anything. Yeah. Until I think the next time he probably talks is when... Bruce has bought the house back from the bank. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he bought the bank. Yeah. Actually. He, he, bought, the he bought the entire bank. He bought the entire bank. Um, but yeah, 
yeah, you know what? It's a great scene. I really do enjoy all the little combo moves that they do. And I want to harken back to our conversation about uh, Diana and Arthur's uh, little like asides and their like thousands of years of their people fighting. The part when they are both pulling on the lasso of truth. Uh, that I like started to like get really excited. I was like, they're working together and their people have been fighting for centuries. Like that worked, that worked for me so much. I really, really enjoyed that little like payoff. And it's just such a simple little thing, but I really did enjoy that. It's simple symbolism that works really well. It does. And honestly, Zach is really great at simple, simple symbolism. Mm -hmm. Symbolism. Symbolism. Yes. Yeah, I really enjoyed when they joined in uh, with Superman fighting him. It yeah. It was very nice to see. Those combos. So good. And you know what? Diana struck the killing blow. That was, ni- that was nice of Superman to give her that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he didn't have to do that, but that's so nice. It's like when you let your little sister play with your toys. It's like, you can you can play. You can do it. It's fine. <laughs> you get the kill, Diana. It's all right. <laughs> um, I also loved, it was very Zach, the... Um, Bruce killed that one parademon that had been shooting at Barry, and the blood mm. splattered all over the lens. Loved yeah, it. Yeah, that was a cool shot. Um, I especially like the climax where they don't save the world, and then Barry's like, oh, hold up, let me reverse time real fast. I know I'm not supposed to, but I like that it doesn't, that initially it shows them kind of failing. Uh, yeah, I, I like that, and I like that he had to think quick and be like, "You, you just got You got to break the rule, Barry. You got to do it now." Yeah, thinking quickly, pun intended. Mm. Uh-huh. Yes. Mm. Um. Yeah, I liked it. Uh, and also, the flashes theme they had with that in that scene was amazing mm-hmm. when he was turning back time. Yeah. It was. It was. It was really. It was really good. I really, really, I have no complaints about that final scene. Um, I thought it went on for a perfect amount of time. Actually, no, I have a couple complaints. Um, what is it? The CGI for Granny Goodness? Yes. Looks- she's not a real actress. <laughs> she's just a computer. Um, yeah, I don't I don't think we needed to see all those, like, different cuts to uh, Apocalypse. Uh, I don't think Granny Goodness needed to be there, but... It was fine in the end because they just sort of like banish him back to his own, back to his own planet, and then Darkseid steps on his head. That was kind of cool. Other than that, no complaints about the, the the ending. I really enjoyed it. I even liked that little cheesy hero shot at the end where they all just sort of like come out into the sun and they're like, "Let's stand here for no reason." Oh, you mean the part where the, looks cool? You mean the part where the movie should have ended? Yes. <laughs> um. So unless anybody else is saying... The way you have to look at the epilogue is this would have been a cutscene, right? So the movie did end there. Yeah. Uh, well, let's talk about this reach around. I mean epilogue. Oh I God. mean nightmare. <laughs> well, before we get that, that's uh, we get the, the Lex Luthor and... Oh, uh, Slade. Slade Wilson. Uh, Deathstroke. Yeah, Deathstroke scene. Where uh, Lex Luthor just out loud in front of all these models says Batman's real name. Yeah. <laughs> all these all these boat models that are standing behind him. He's like, yeah, Bruce Wayne is Batman. <laughs> Hopefully none of them are embedded journalists. Yeah, really. Like, <laughs> just go ahead and say that out loud. Why don't you, Lex? <laughs> 
<sighs> and, and I'm assuming that would have gotten paid off in the Batman solo movie that they were making, or maybe Justice League yeah. 2. Yeah, what the heck was that supposed to be? It was set up. It was supposed to be Deathstroke versus Batman was the solo movie. Okay. Really? Okay. Not um, so Riddler? that was directly setting up the Batman movie. Interesting. So, wait, I thought that, honestly, when I saw this scene in the Snyder Cut... I was like, was this scene in Batman v Superman? Because I could have sworn that I saw it in Batman v well, Superman. Deathstroke no, is in PBS. This, this scene was still in the uh, Justice Cut. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, because for some reason um, I was, thought I had I seen can't Deathstroke. I remember if it was like, if they did it as an end credit scene. They did. I, I remember like, whatever it was in, it was an end credit scene. Yeah, I think I think Josh is, Josh is right. Josh is right that it is uh it was the like end credit scene or post credit scene but he yeah, didn't say bruce wayne one. Mm-hmm. um i did like that they changed the epilogue they changed the voice over because joss had it as amy adams voicing over which i mean i had no complaint because i enjoy her character and she had virtually no lines in the whole movie so it was nice to see her talk but i think in zach's it was just nicer and it felt more well fitted to have silas doing the voiceover kind of to reiterate that victor is kind of the heart of this whole movie yeah i agree i did like that change and i really like we were you know gushing about that actor earlier i liked silas a lot i was sad his character died yeah it's kind of amazing to me that they cut a lot of his stuff out of the Joss Whedon cut. Yeah. Like, there, he's he, one of the best actors on that cast. He, yeah, he is. No, for sure. A lot of a lot of that stuff was really impactful. The stuff with him and, and his play with with Victor and and it just you know again it was just like why did they cut this stuff out? Why did they cut the the good parts of this out? It will never add up. It won't. No. You can add, put any equation in there. It's never going to make sense. Yeah. You gotta chalk it up to this was the vision, and people demanded to see that vision, and now we have seen that vision. We all went on a vision quest, and it certainly certainly feels like it. Um, a vision quest, yeah. So what's the deal with Leto? Why, so, why is he doing that voice? <laughs> why is he doing any of it? Why? Okay, and I I know you've told me, Natalie, that that, that line was improvised. Um, and I, I I guess we'll get into the nightmare and the, the we'll, we'll the talk whole, a little bit about the setup where you know it's it's the future Superman has turned evil because Lois Lane was destroyed by Darkseid and then Superman was corrupted by the anti life equation and it seems like it's basically Batman is trying to reset time and get to the proper timeline so he can fix everything. And to explain that, I had to watch like five or six YouTube videos to explain them to me. So I think storytelling-wise, the scene is not good because I really did not understand what on earth was going on. But visually, it was brown. And <laughs> um, substance-wise, uh, it, it just sort of threw me for a loop. So that's those are my thoughts on the nightmare. Anyone else can jump in. The whole thing with like Leto uh, ad libbing that is that he ad libbed a lot, and they took parts that he ad libbed that didn't make it into even this cut, and they put it as part of the teasers. 
for this cut. Like the whole we live in a society thing that was in the trailers that was like a reference to the meme wasn't in the movie. I was mad about that, actually. <laughs> uh, what, do you, what are your thoughts, Natalie? Um, I enjoyed it personally because I've been hung up on this nightmare and where it's been trying to go for years. So mm-hmm. to me, I kind of just knew what was going on. Mm-hmm. So I liked it. I liked seeing more. I liked that we had Mara there. Um, it was interesting seeing the flash, even though that was, so Ezra's part was filmed on Zoom, which is why really? the, the CG of him in that scene was a little odd. Wow. He looks he like filming. a totally different person. Yeah, well, he was, because it was, they literally were just motion capturing his face, I guess, via Zoom, because he was over in England filming the third Fantastic Beasts movie, oh. and wasn't available. Okay. Um, so lots of weird moving parts to get that scene, but Leto, it was just, I don't know. I enjoyed seeing the dialogue between Batman and Joker, and being a Batfleck fan, I think he deserves a better Joker. (laughs) I still enjoyed it. I enjoyed seeing Bruce Wayne drop an F-bomb. I enjoyed seeing him say he's going to kill the Joker. That doesn't often happen. Yeah. Um, And then my my very last note on the movie is, Evil Clark is sexy and I want more. (laughs) It would be fun to see. We haven't had an evil, an evil Superman movie. I think that would be that'd be quite a threat, honestly. Yeah, that would be cool to see. Um, if you could, okay, Dreamcast. If you could have anyone who has played Joker before, uh, living or dead, be Ben Affleck's Joker. Could be even animated if you'd like. Who who would be your dream Joker for Ben Affleck? This is hard. Um. Because my two favorite are Ledger and Hamill. Mm-hmm. I don't know if Le- if Ledger would fit into this universe, like his vibe. He okay. I think he does, just kind of because Jesse Eisenberg is kind of doing a That's Heath Ledger true. impression all the time yeah. as Lex. Which is kind of I kind of enjoy that. So maybe it would be interesting to see that together. Um, I don't know. I always just go back to Mark Hamill's Joker. Yeah. He's so good. But I don't know how that how that chemistry would be with Ben Affleck. I don't know. I would love, honestly, now that I'm thinking about seeing uh, Heath Ledger and Jesse Eisenberg in the same movie, I would love a scene where Joker just like goes up to Lex and he's like, hey man, steal my stick? Get your, get your own thing. This is my thing. I would love that. Well, it always blows my mind. Today happens to be the, I think, 15th the 20th anniversary of um, 10 Things I Hate About You, which starred Heath Ledger and Joseph Gordon-Levitt. I yeah. always just thought it was so interesting that we had right. Ledger and then passed away. And then we had um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt as Robin yeah. that we never got to see come to pass. But it would have been interesting to see them connected if um, Heath hadn't passed away. Yeah. would have been nice. I, the only thing I wouldn't have been able to get around if they had made a movie with Joseph Gordon-Levitt as Robin is why on earth they didn't just 
Just name him Dick Grayson or Tim Drake or any know. anybody. We like people know who Dick Grayson is. Like I guarantee, stop like you know fifty moms on the street. Twenty of them will probably have heard the name Dick Grayson before. They'll know. That's Nolan, though. Like he wanted to make it seem like nothing in there was from a comic book. Okay, great. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't. I mean, it's he takes himself so seriously. He didn't want to. Like, you you know what I mean. Like, look back at that trilogy. Like, it's all pretty realistic. Everything comic book was adapted to, like, a real-world version. Even Heath Ledger's The Joker. Yeah, the real-world problem of every single police officer getting trapped underground. <laughs> or the real-world problem of a nuclear bomb going off. You know what I mean, though. Like, <laughs> more realistic. Like, that's why The Dark Knight is such a great film. The whole it is a great climax film. is not oh my god so and so is blowing up the world we're gonna die in a nuclear explosion the whole world at once like it's like oh no this boat one of these boats might die and like you know what i mean yeah but isn't isn't the beginning of the first movie i've poisoned the water supply batman is it (laughs) the the scarecrow well it's not the beginning of batman begins in batman begins no, it's not the beginning, but it, it happens. It does happen that he poisons the water supply, but that's kind of his only move. My point is, like, I don't mean realistic in terms of, like, this would or wouldn't happen in our world, but it's certainly more realistic than any comics iteration. Yeah. And I guess it's just your mileage may vary on what on what you prefer. You know, we're, we all have different preferences as fans. And if you like those more comic booky things, then watch the sixty six TV series. Exactly, watch, watch the sixty six TV series. And if you like more of the realism, watch the Nolan verse, or I guess the Snyder verse. Yeah. All right. Final thoughts on Zack Snyder's Justice League. Go ahead, Nat. You start. Um. Overall, it definitely I will say exceeded my expectations. Honestly, just waiting so long, I had zero because I lost them over the years. Um, but I, I felt the payoff was worth it. Um, I wouldn't say it was worth the wait because that, it just shouldn't have happened. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I'm very happy for Zach. I'm happy we finally get to see his full vision without any executive telling him he has to cut it or try to work around a storyline. Um, I just hope we can see the continuation of what was planned, whether it's on HBO Max or even if Netflix signs with him, mm-hmm. we will see. Um, yeah, I just hope we can see a conclusion to what was supposed to be because I can feel and see what was proposed and I think it would have been really great to see. Yeah. Very sad, but overall, I'm very happy. CGI could have been hair better, but I can't blame them. That was a financing issue, and that's kind of it for me. Yeah. Joshua, final thoughts? Better than the first one. Still not my cup of tea. Um, I liked it. I enjoyed watching this one, which I can't say about Batman v Superman. I really wanted to blow my brains out watching Batman v Superman. Can you say it about the theatrical cut of Justice League that you enjoyed it? Uh, no. 
Okay. Not really. This is an improvement. Like, given given the... If somebody had this on, I might sit down and watch it again. If somebody had the Joss Whedon cut on, I would not even bother. I wouldn't, mm-hmm. I wouldn't care. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, I agree with both of you. This was a big improvement. I did enjoy it a lot more than I thought I was going to. I really thought it was going to be a slog. I really thought I was just going to sit down and like suffer. And I'm glad I watched it in several parts. I don't know how I would have felt if I if I actually sat down and watched all four hours of it all in one go. Um, but, you know, despite any of the little nitpicks or the things that I didn't enjoy or suffering through the anti-life equation stuff, I really thought it was a very interesting piece of cinema. And I am ultimately glad it exists. Uh, that being said, I kind of am hoping that it doesn't start any kind of trend towards, uh, you know, directors needing to have, you know, absolute final say in everything. You know, there's these things online now saying, like, release the David Ayer's cut of the Suicide Squad movie and all this other stuff. I think this is kind of a one-off. You know, Zach was really had the wool pulled over his eyes, the rug pulled out from under him in this situation. And I'm glad that we did get to see his vision. Um, and yeah. Those those are my thoughts on on it. Uh, yeah. And um, I also to add a. I'm glad that he was able to put. I mean, he could do whatever he want, but he put for out for autumn, um, before the credits. Yeah. And I thought that was really nice. And then I know you you make fun that he uh, always reuses Hallelujah. Yeah. But that was his connection to it, and I thought that was really nice for him to have that little detail at the end for her. Yeah, it made sense to me now, knowing that that's her favorite song, that that's a song now that's so important to him. So I guess I take back all of my razzing Zach Zach, Zach, uh, Snyder about his love for the song Hallelujah. Although it's kind of gross now when you think of the way he uses it in Watchmen, but whatever. Now it's got a different context, and I, I, it, you touched on something interesting that this really does feel like such a labor of love and such a love letter to his daughter. So I am so glad that it exists in that context. Joshua, you want to say something? It was also nice to see the uh, suicide prevention hotline billboard that was yeah. posted. Yes, I forgot to mention that. Yeah, in yeah. in the scene with uh, Batman and the Flash when they drive away mm-hmm. in the car. Yeah, and it, it was that was a real American suicide prevention awareness ad, which yeah. was really interesting. It wasn't like made up. Yeah, it was really lovely, lovely, <laughs> lovely personal touches. Thanks so much to Natalie for joining us on this episode of Batmates. It was so wonderful to get a chance to talk to her and have her put her perspective on this super long film that we both did enjoy watching to a degree. And thank you to all of you who stuck with us and listened to this whole episode. And we hope you have a really fantastic week. Uh, Next week, we will be back to normal with, I'm thinking, maybe like a super suicide squad episode. So stay tuned for that. (laughs) Nothing promised, but we'll definitely be going over a Silver Age comic again. Absolutely. Have a great week, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.